Very commonly, the very thing you love about your spouse is the very thing that you don't like about your spouse. One night a week for two hours by yourselves, okay? And on that date night, you can talk about anything you want except three things. Sometimes people are afraid of, you know, if we are just grateful, then our negative circumstance won't change or we will forget about it. We'd just like to start off this podcast sharing something so inspiring from a previous conversation, something so unexpected. And it really shows the divine providence that we believe exists here on this platform. We've seen so many incredible things happen. We've seen the hand of Hashem guiding us through every step. And this just was such a beautiful moment. And Rivka, why don't you share what we're talking about? So in the previous episode with uh, Rabbi Shalom Bear and Rebetzin Hani Lipska. Rebetzin Hani Lipska in the second half of the conversation shared a very emotional and uplifting story, a story of hope. And she was actually emotional sharing it. And it was about a couple that she had met. The wife's father was still a hostage at that time. And and she just shared this on our platform. This, and she had met them and they seemed distraught especially the daughter, was was just distraught and, and she couldn't eat, she couldn't sleep, she just wanted her father back. And she was sitting there thinking like, what can we do in this situation? And she said, you know, we've got to do something. We're going to do something spiritual. And so she, she suggested to the husband to put on tefillin. And he said, you know what? Okay, I, I'll put on tefillin for my father-in-law, for the hostages to come home safely. And then she said to the wife, and what can we do for you? The daughter of the hostage said, you know what, can you please give me a pair of tefillin too for my father for when he comes home? This was a very emotional moment on the podcast. Rabbits and Khani Lipsko was an emo- emotional. We were emotional hearing this for the hope that, and the, and the trust in Hashem that this daughter had, that his father will return. Then the next thing we know a week later, he, her father was rescued, which really in and of itself is miraculous. He wasn't released. He was rescued, and which was an extremely unlikely event, especially given the nature of the situation right now you know, in Israel. And so the two hostages who were rescued were Fernando Simon Marman and Louis Har. Louis Har being the father of the girl that took upon herself to, t- to hold on to a pair of tefillin in the merit of her father's safe return home. And now he can put them on. We, we were just blown away by this. The story in itself, just the fact that she wanted to take these to fill in was such a hopeful story and gave so much inspiration and, and helped us tap into the place of trust and betachan in Hashem. And then to actually hear the news that this is the person that came home was mind-blowing. And I think it reminded us that Everything we do matters. And even if we don't see the fruits of our labor, and even if we don't see the ripple effect that every action has, we have to do it knowing that it can make a lasting impression and it can have a ripple effect that can make waves and make a huge difference. Exactly. And that's what our podcast is all about. May we continue to see these revealed miracles in Eretz Israel and in, in everyone that's listening's personal lives. This episode is a co-sponsorship by Everything But The Baby and Chaya Hair and Repair. Everything But The Baby 
is actually located on Kingston Avenue in Crown Heights, where I live. They have everything that you need for when you get married, which is very appropriate for this episode. You can get your furniture for your home there. I got, I have so much amazing furniture from Everything Baby and their prices are amazing. Their service is so good. Um, they ship around the USA and you can get your strollers there. Everything that you need when you have a baby, everything that you need for your home when you get married. And they also sell mattresses, uh, amazing mattresses. I have my mattresses from there as well. And I plan on ordering new ones after this episode because in honor of their sponsorship, they have decided to give 10% off to whoever orders a mattress or mattresses from them for the month of Adar. And you're in luck because there are two Adars this year because there's a leap year. So when you go to everythingmattress.com, we will put the link on our podcast notes. And all you have to do is type inside out and you will get 10% off your mattress order. They have phenomenal mattresses. Right. So it's everything but the baby. So if you are having a baby or if you have a baby, you can find everything you need um, for that new addition to your home. But even if you don't have a baby, you can also get home furnishings there and they are very well stocked. I know. I mean, I've known that store. It's been around for a very long time and uh, they have a website. So it's everythingmattress.com to get new mattresses 10% off with the code inside out all lowercase. And then you can also go to their site, everythingbutthebaby.com to see all their amazing deals and beautiful furniture and um, home accessories and baby accessories. Okay. So this episode is co-sponsored by Kaya Hair and Repair, uh, who are actually based in Miami, but they do uh, ship nationwide and they transform your wig experience from mundane to magnificent. And their goal is always to make you feel beautiful and to feel confident wearing your wig. They have an expert team who specializes in repairs and hairline customization that not only looks stunning, but feels like a seamless extension of you. And they pay extra attention to detail using only the finest hair, lace, and latest sewing techniques to achieve the most natural results. Customer satisfaction isn't just a goal, it's their guiding principle. When you look good, we feel good. Uh, So you can head over to HayaHairAndRepair.com to get in touch and book your free consult. And for the first time, in honor of our podcast, if you mention from the inside out when you book your appointment, either online, and we'll include the link in our podcast notes, or you can give them a call. You can mention from the inside out for 10% off all wig repairs. I, I've just had an amazing experience with them. And um, I do think that they do really focus on details and I'm so happy with the results and there was such great customer service and I think they really are great with lace front wigs and just in general any repairs that you need I know you can also buy wigs from them as well yeah I actually got one not long ago and I um, and it's it was I'm venturing into lace front lace top and it hasn't been a very easy journey for me because I you know I've been used to the kind of wigs that I used to wear and this is very different and they were so patient working with me to get my wig to look right. And um, it genuinely looks like it's my hair, which is very cool. And I'm a very happy customer of theirs. Same so. here. And I've got a very complicated hairline. And this past year, I've been wearing lace front and lace top and it took time to get it right. And higher hair and repair really completed it for me. I feel so good with my first repair from them. So looking at it right now, Rifka, and it's looking great. 
Thank you. Fabulous. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you're in luck, 10% off. And they also ship around the USA. So it could be even around the world. Okay, so if you would like to, if you would like to sponsor or co-sponsor an episode, uh, you can reach out to Rivka and Ida at gmail.com. It's R-I-V-K-A-H and E-D-A at Gmail. And we are currently working on building our website and soon we'll make it a much more seamless experience for you to uh, participate and join our community, check out late, our latest episodes and, uh, and join us as a sponsor or co-sponsor. Yeah, thank you, Chaya Heron and Everything But The Baby for co-sponsoring with us. We're grateful to be partnering with you in this very meaningful mission, especially with the conversation that we're going to be having today about marriage. A, a religious woman needs a wig to get married. Everybody needs furniture and and Bezrat Hashem family. So it's great to have you join with us and partner with us. And all the links are in our podcast notes. And today's episode was also recorded in the Altir, which is a beautiful hotel. If you watch our YouTube channel, you will see the video. You can, you can watch or listen. If you're listening, this is the audio. If you watch, you'll see the beautiful hotel that we were able to do this in, Kosher Hotel, if you're over in Bay Harbor or Bell Harbor. And the link to the Altier is in our podcast notes as well. Oh, and I want to tell you a little bit about today's guests. Um, so Gary Newman, Gary M. Newman, is uh, Oprah called him, Oprah Winfrey called him one of the best psychotherapists in the world. She says, I've been doing this a long time and he is the best. That's quite the... Uh, it's quite the feedback to get from someone like Oprah. He he got multiple reviews from very well-known people. I'll read one other one before I share his bio. Um, Anderson Cooper wrote that when he was a kid, he says, when I was a kid, I used to have this fantasy that I had a board of advisors who used to give me life advice. Gary would be on my board. So his reputation precedes him. He joins us today with his daughter, Esther Newman, who is also a psychotherapist. And, and I couldn't agree more with all those reviews. Like I was blown away by this conversation. It was one of the best conversations I've had about marriage. You know, I felt so uplifted by it and I left feeling like I have somebody I can recommend to people who are struggling with their marriages. And I came home just feeling so excited about marriage. <laughs> it was amazing. Right, and, and I love that he expanded his reach by offering uh a course like for I think it's for couples or for really anybody looking to improve their relationship uh, called the Newman Method and we'll we'll share all of that in our podcast notes and you'll hear more about it also in the episode and you can decide if it's something that that will work for you both him and his daughter make such a good team they have so much wisdom to share everything's on point we were talking to God-fearing people and I, I think that that made a big difference in in their views there was a God in the picture as well as psychology and and the, the things that we need to hear about how to make a relationship work or how to create a, a solid, beautiful relationship and home. I, I loved Oprah. I always loved Oprah. I, like I would, loved Oprah. Oprah. I gravitated to her field of work, which is probably you know, what led us to do what we're doing today. But he was on Oprah 12 times or maybe even more, which is, I, I don't think I've ever seen a guest on that many times that I know of. So that's pretty impressive. And there wasn't ever a guest on Oprah that I didn't find intriguing. Wait till you hear an experience that he had at Oprah and an experience that he had at The View, and you can let us know your feedback. Gary Newman is a psychotherapist, a rabbi, and New York Times bestselling author of seven books on the topics of marriage and divorce. There are over one million copies of Gary's books that are in print. He's also the creator of The Newman Method, um, The Newman Method's Creating Your, Your Best Marriage video program. He has appeared over 50 times on The Today Show, 
a dozen times on The Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as on NBC Dateline, The Katie Couric Show, Steve Harvey, Good Morning America, and The View. Gary and his work have been featured in People, Time, Parents, Parenting, Cosmo, Red Book, O, as well as in newspapers including Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, Miami Herald, and Wall Street Journal. Gary co-hosts Better and Better Psychology, a live call in podcast with his psychotherapist daughter, Esther Newman, discussing all the things psychological. He lives with his wife and children in Miami Beach, Florida. So he hosts a podcast, which if you like what you hear, then you can check it out. Very cool concept. And he does it with his daughter, Esther Newman, who joined us uh, in this conversation. And she was such a pleasure. Beautiful girl. She's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, she's the co-creator of the Newman Method. I would recommend either of them if anyone yeah. wants a marriage therapist. Yeah. Good one. So she's the co-creator of the NewmanMethod.com, Creating Your Best Marriage Program, and co-host of Better and Better Psychology, which is that live call and podcast we mentioned earlier. She is a psychotherapist in Miami where she maintains a private practice helping marriages and families. And she is a well-known author and speaker with two of her new books to be published this year on parenting and pregnancy. Her work has been featured in Parents Magazine, Huffington Post, Jewish Press, and was a psychological consultant for Apple TV's children's show, Amber Brown, by Emmy-nominated writer and director Bonnie Hunt. Okay, so we will include links to all of their stuff, their, their, the Newman Method, their website, Instagram, TikTok, the podcasts for you to enjoy if you uh, would like to check it out. For anyone that's struggling in their marriage, this this conversation is going to give you a lot of hope. And I think even more than marriage, we went through, I, I feel, I really feel like this is for everyone because at the end of the day, we have a relationship. Everybody has a relationship, right? Whether we, with, with someone. Exactly. Yes. And and I really believe that the most and important think, relationship you have is, is the relationship that you have with yourself. And then that becomes, um, your relationship with others becomes an extension of that. So if you're not in a relationship right now, it's, it would be nice to just think about the relationship you have with yourself and come from that lens. And I think that there's a lot to learn in this episode. We're so grateful that uh, Gary and his daughter made the time to join us for a, a very, very insightful conversation. And and for a couple embarking on marriage, I think this is a good conversation too. Um, and dating, even someone yeah. dating. Yeah. Yes. Okay, enjoy. Right. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to From the Inside Out, now a global community that keeps growing every day thanks to each and every one of you. Right here is where you'll discover life-changing insights from some of the world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and our everyday heroes. We believe that meaningful change comes from taking inspiration and turning it into action. In fact, that's how this podcast was created, in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences and how much we could learn from each other. We're so glad you've joined our conversation today. The path to meaningful change starts right here, right now. From the inside out. Okay, we want to welcome you, Gary, and your wonderful daughter, Esther. I've known your name for quite a while now. Saw that you were on Oprah many times, um, which is really cool because I watched Oprah for a very long time. So tell us about Oprah. Yeah, first of all, we're delighted to be here. Um, uh, the Oprah show was remarkable. Uh, to get on the show, really, there's so many brilliant, wonderful people who couldn't get on the show, who didn't. So it really was a, a godly moment where, you know, God sometimes writes a script that's much better than you could ever imagine. And as a therapist trying to help people, there was never, I don't know if there ever will be such a place where you could do a deep dive into really helping people. So 
you know, I would go out there a week before and people to understand the, the inner workings of this fabulous, you know, show, I would go out there a week before and maybe counsel 50 different people, groups of children, you know, uh, marriages, depending on what the show was about. And we would spend eight hours a day filming just to get those amazing nuggets, you know, where we'd show, I'd come back the next week, we'd show that minute on the show where that was that revelation, that insight for that person. And then we'd talk to those people about what had happened. So it, it, and, and the draw because of the, the, I don't know, 20, 30 million a day or whatever was going on at the time. um, It, it really made you feel like you had this incredible empowerment to help people. So it really was, uh, it, it was remarkable. Um, to, and it was a great journey. And the idea that I, you know, decided to wear a yarmulke on all the shows I went on, I was on, I've been on the Today Show over 50 times, uh, was, was meaningful. I think, you know, people really would call me. I'd get a lot of Jewish calls also that was just appreciative that I didn't go into a situation and hide who I was. And I wasn't there as Oprah's rabbi. I was there as a psychotherapist, psychologist, like just like anyone else. But this was who I am. And it was always, my life has been, uh, it, it, all of our lives are, how do we take the spirituality and what God's given us and, and our relationship with him and do whatever we're going to do? That's the starting point for me. And I hopefully, you know, for every human being. Yeah, I noticed that you wore your yarmulke um, on the shows that I, I watched. And I thought that was really, really special, especially given that time period. I'm wondering, have you ever had pushback on the yarmulke? Yeah, so there was one show, it was The View. And um, I was asked not to wear the yarmulke. At the time, Barbara Walters was concerned. Uh, the way it was explained to me was that if I would come on or if one would come on with a big golden cross or something that would divert the attention from your point. So uh, that was the only show I think that's, that, that's the that asked. Well, it, 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 was, was a, it was what it was. Yeah. And I remember my... Um, the the PR person at Random House, you know, was very surprised when I said, all right, is all right, what? Uh, all right, I'm not going on the show. Like, it wasn't a question for me. I just, I'm not doing it. I mean, forget about it. And um, whatever happened behind the scenes, they had me on. And thankfully, they had me on after that. And we had some really incredible times on The View. You know, Melanie Griffith, I remember one time, was, was uh, on the show. And she was supposed to leave for my segment. But she heard it was going to be about emotional cheating. So she wanted to stay. So it was amazing. I'm sitting there, she's sitting there, Star Jones, and we're all talking about her and Antonia Banderas. And, you know, I was talking about how, like, you know, you could cheat on your marriage without actually physically having contact. And she, she, she found that fascinating. And then she, oh, it was funny. I mean, she, she said, oh, Antonia and I have a, uh, have a rule that we don't. And she said the F word and then we had to cut it out. And it was a live show and it was seven minute delay. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. I mean, in Hollywood, that's the tough thing to hear is that you could cheat without any physical. Yeah, absolutely. And how is that possible? Well, so the idea of emotional cheating, I have a book called Emotional Infidelity that I wrote many years ago, and it, it's, it's psychologically sound, but it also has a, a great godly Torah you know, uh, experience because we know in the, in the uh, Orthodox Jewish world that we have a certain separation between the genders. And the point is, is that you know, people always focus on you can't you know, physically cheat with someone else. But if I 
or anyone goes ahead and they put the bulk of their emotional interaction and connection in the hands of an opposite gender other than their spouse, then that's cheating. Because what I learned through my books and my, and my studies was that the heart of what physical cheating really is, is the emotional cheating leading up to it. It's that we lose ourselves and we start to connect tremendously to people other than our spouses. Once you do that, you're, you're breaking down your marriage and you're beginning to cheat. So, you know, the way I define emotional cheating and infidelity is saying taking the bulk of your emotions into the hands of someone else. But whatever that measurement is, once you're starting to look outside of your spouse to another gender, to an opposite gender person for the, for the connectedness, uh, you're losing and you're draining your marriage of its much needed emotional value. I can have all the love in my heart, but my energy is, an, is a mathematical equation. The more I leak out of my marriage, the less I have. So if I'm coming home from my job and, and my wife says, or my you know, spouse says, you know, how are the, eh, you know, I already talked about it, laughed about it with Cindy. You know, I already had, we already had a good time about it. I, I'm draining all the energy. I don't have that capacity to really connect my spouse. So then what do I do instead? We talk about the problems and the bills and the kid threw up again on the new couch. I can't believe it. Should have gotten performance fabric. I'm telling you, I knew it, whatever the case might be. Yeah. And, and that's how it goes. And right. it's a very simple step from there into more and more. Right. This is assigned to friends as well, meaning like, I understand that idea of shifting your energy to, let's say, a party outside the marriage that maybe will prevent you from being able to connect to your spouse in a way. What about like a girlfriend? If uh, if someone has a girlfriend, they just want to vent and hang out and, you know, get that energy out with this. Would you say, I mean, it's not emotional infidelity per se, but it's also like a shift of energy outside of marriage or connection. Well, it was, it was interesting yeah. what we were saying before is in our studies, we found that a lot of uh, the people that you end up, that one ends up cheating with. Um, is usually they meet during a shared experience. Like if you're on a bicycle, you know, the, you know, some activity. And what is that? Because you're connecting, you're bonding, you're spending time, you're spending energy, you know, you're having fun together. So, you know, with the, again, it's someone with the opposite, to your point, someone with the opposite sex, you know, you have, it's a little bit more it's different. It's different. It's different. You're also not looking for the same um, things from your girlfriend versus a guy friend that you right. met at a, you know. Right. And there's no doubt that there's a little more of that emotional, hormonal thing going on, you know? I mean, people walk... I always say, if you walk away from somebody and you got a little extra bounce in your step, you know, then you know something's going on. Right. To your point, though, Ida, it's a very good question, is that if, if you personally have a dear sister and, you know, you're trying to make a decision about where to send your kids to school or what to do, and before you speak to your spouse about it, you've talked it out with your sister to where you've already come to really the heart of what you want to do, and then you're just checking in with your spouse trying to convince him what you already know, then, yeah, you are robbing some of that life's journey that makes a marriage very, very rich. Right, right. Because I know someone who uh, likes to vent about their relationship. And I find that in doing that, maybe it prevents someone from really taking up the issue with their spouse directly, because now I've sort of like shifted that focus. And now the problem is now in, almost like in someone else's, you know, right. um, department. And it's hard because you know, a lot of people when they when I, I See when I see couples, it's very hard because they'll say, "Well, my husband doesn't want to hear about it," or "We don't have time," or "I got home and I'm exhausted. I'm putting the kids to bed." And 
you know, and it trails off. And so they feel like, okay, I can call my sister in the middle of the day, or I can call my friend and we can chat for 45 minutes while we're driving. And so what I tell couples and I, you know, you get every, you speak to your spouse and you say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Give them a call, pick up the phone. And that spouse needs to stop what they're doing if they can, as best they can, and pick up the phone to have that that little connection. Cause that that is a very powerful thing. When you call, you know, someone in the middle of the day and you're sharing and you're emoting as it happens, it brings you closer. Yeah. You know? right. right. I'm actually just thinking back to what you shared that you said you stood your ground and you said you're gonna wear a yamaka. Um, I think that also, like you decided you want to be yourself, you want to be who you are. And because you did that, you got your way, you were able to come in and be yourself. And I wonder, you know, I think that that applies to a marriage too, that we should all be able to truly be ourselves. And if our spouse requests something of us that is not really in line with who we are, what do we do with that? And, and that's why I wanted to discuss with you how we can actually come to the table in a marriage, being ourselves from the onset you know, and um, what, what, what are your prevention tools and some of your proactive tools to actually be able to be yourself and bring out the best in each other? Sure. I'm happy we have a couple of days here <laughs> to, um, to manage this. Um, oh, to your point, marriage is complicated and challenging. And to the point that you just said, I am who I am. Well, when you get married, uh, Oprah once said to me, um, I want to tell you something. She knew I was going to, I was writing a marriage book and I'll, I'll, I remember like, like you remember these moments very clearly. She said, I have some advice for you about your marriage book. And like in my head, I think, you know, when Oprah says I have advice, you listen very carefully. So like every cadence and rhythm, every syllable, you know. But anyway, and she said, you know, I think when people, uh, you know, get married, they should already be happy. And they, you know, should be happy before they marry. They shouldn't go into marriage expecting the marriage to make them happy. And I, I understood what she was saying. She obviously was was. She's not married. Yeah, but she's, 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 yeah, 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 but she's obviously was, was saying that you shouldn't like be a sad person depending on, you know, your marriage to, to make you a whole. But I said to her, I said, listen, I, I respect, I hear what you're saying, but if you think about it, Oprah, if you're so happy as a single person, I don't know what you get married for because marriages work. You got to sacrifice. You got to work. You got to change a lot of times the edges, the, 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 who you are to some extent, you know, the reason we get married is because we need somebody because I am not whole. I, I might be kind of happy, but I know I'm not happy enough. There's something different out there. So when you say you should walk into a marriage and you should just be who you are, the fact is when you get into a marriage, you're supposed to shift and change. You're not supposed to change for the worse. I mean, if, if you're asked in a marriage to, you know, uh, be more miserly, be meaner, be nastier. You know, the thing that sometimes spouses are affected to the negative that I find very suspicious, and I, I think we should stop. But very commonly, we do things that we would never do before. You know, when my wife said, I live in Miami Beach, we should take the kids skiing in Aspen. I said, what, what skiing in Aspen? I grew up in Baltimore. I'm trying to get away from snow. I don't want to go skiing in Aspen. You're kidding me. So she get her way? She got her way many times. I personally never skied, to your point, (laughs) but she got her way and they know how to ski great, you know, but the point is that that's a funny example, but it's all over that, that we're, we're, we're looking and the real heart of it is that we're supposed to be growing, right? You, 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 you talk a lot about growing through a marriage and doing things that, uh, that, you know, are not your, not what you've done before. Yeah. You're going to change and ebb and flow. And I always think that's the most beautiful thing in marriage is you're not supposed to 
be with someone who thinks exactly the same way as you because then it would be boring. Life would be boring. It's the idea of you're with someone to see the world through their perspective, to get that insight, to see something in a totally different light. And if we accept that about our spouse and we love that and we enjoy that, it, it makes life a lot more magical. Um, and that goes to listening to our spouse. And when they do have a perspective or an interest, interesting twist on something, um, to integrate that. Now, whether you want to change your own feeling about it or not, that's a separate thing. But really to understand and see the world through their eyes is oh, can be very magical. Right. So yeah. to come into the marriage, looking at it, not like, oh, he's so different to me. He doesn't understand me. But more of, I want to hear this other perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We grow in life one way by understanding another perspective. That's the only way we grow. Me keep telling you what my perspective is, is there's, there's no growth in that. Everything in our spiritual world is always about listening to somebody else and trying to understand. If you've ever opened a book of Talmud, the Talmud was written a couple thousand years ago. I mean, it was codified and edited, you know, 1500 years ago or whatever. And you, it's a law book. Now, it's a law book. You should open it up and should say, the law is like Hillel. It never says that, rarely. You know what it says? Hillel says this. Shammai says that, but that's not it. Why does Hillel say that and not like Shammai? Why does Shammai say that and not, you know why? Because the Talmud and the rabbis and God knew that whether you, whether you keep the standard like Hillel or Shammai, you're going to be okay. But you know how you're going to grow? By understanding everything that he understood that you don't understand. Why is there, what is in this conflict? And by thinking about it, even if you disagree with it, you really understand the heart of it. That is how we grow. There is, everything is around us. It's like when you buy a blue car and all of a sudden you see there's like a hundred blue cars on the street. They were there before. You didn't see it. You don't see it by just telling your own perspective. You're sitting in a room and the sun comes through and all of a sudden there's millions of little dust particles and you think, wow, how'd that get there? It was there before. You didn't <laughs> see it until you opened the window or the shade and you saw a little sun come in. So the, the, the beauty of, of who we are as a couple in its purest form is really seeing somebody with a very different perspective. And you are not going to have anyone else in your life who has more of a different perspective who you are that close to than your spouse because you're different genders, which makes you think differently, and you're close. You're talking about all the ins and outs of life, hopefully. So you really, it's like, so a lot of fights begin and continue because you want to argue your point. You can't understand where this person is coming from instead of, as Esther was saying, sit back and listen very well and absorb it. Then you can always disagree. You're always going to have arguments and, you know, disagreements and that's part of life. And that's, you know, if you have kids, I mean, kids grow every minute they're changing. So you're going to have to have, you have to grow with your family. And so if your spouse and you can really listen to each other, hear it, you avoid a lot of argument because if you start with a different perspective and you don't get defensive, you don't start attacking each other, trying to defend your position. Oh, this is my point And this is where I'm at. That's how the fights start when you don't feel heard and understood. But if you come up with a topic and you're like, oh, I want this kid to go to that school or this, and you're like, oh, well, let me hear your perspective. That's interesting. You know, wow, okay, why is that? Well, I think this is better spiritual, academically. And you're listening to each other and you, you really feel heard. That diffuses a lot of the situation. I always tell couples like, I can, we can solve your issue. Like, 
okay, we saw A or B, like, okay, figure it out. But it's the journey. It's that path to getting there. It's understanding. It's listening. It's um, that's what gets you closer as a couple. And that's what gets you, you know, grow in, growth in life, right, is to is to grow. Yeah, the hard part, I'd like talking about the kids is one thing. I think the hard part for someone, probably the hardest part is when they're telling you something about yourself, about you. Sure, yeah. sure, yeah. 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 Here, here's, here's, here's <laughs> okay, the bottom express line. Yourself. None of us got married to be told how much we have to change. Yeah. We didn't get married for that reason. We got married because we wanted someone to love us for who we are. And we thought that we would get the rest of our lives, we just get away with just being who we are, and you would love every minute of it. And of course, you know, it doesn't work out that way. So, so much of life is an issue because the human condition, we are born with a fragile ego. That's the bottom line. I've just really come to understand how fragile we are as people. We're highly sensitive to any kind of suggestion. If you criticize me, condemn me, I can't stand it. I mean, you know, you have a couple of kids. My grandchild, they're wonderful. But any child, you know, he's four years old. He's mixing. I say, hey, Stuart, can I show you? No, no, no. I don't like, want to know how to do it. He wants to do it himself. And we're all like that. So the bottom line is we don't want to be corrected. And the more we can truly love ourselves, this is not about marriage, it's just about everything in life. When, the, when, when God said, love your neighbor as yourself, he, I, I mean, that was, that was it. Game over after that, okay? Because my fragile ego causes us to want to take from others. We're not satisfied. We want to blame others. We want to always be the loudest voice in the room. The, the narcissist has the tiniest, tiniest ego, okay? That narcissist is pathetic because that narcissist can only think of his perspective and have everything create the narrative around his perspective. The more I love myself, the more I can be satisfied, I can be at peace, I can hear what you have to say. It's not an affront to who I am, it's, it's generous to just hear and listen. It's not, it's not condemning me, it's not judging me as a bad person, it's just allowing me to learn. I'm here to learn. So right. the big question you might ask is, well, that's great, how do you love yourself? I was gonna say loving yeah. yourself could be misconstrued and I have sure. an ego. Everyone always <laughs> right. thinks, well, oh, you're selfish. Selfish, you know, right. is, a, is a pejorative, you know? So one of my dearest friends in life was Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I had the great blessing of spending time with him. And, and we would go back and forth. He wrote a book, you know, for kids and divorce. And, and I, I was, you know, consulted with him on that. But his big message was that you're special just because of who you are, you know. And a lot of people don't like that message. Well, it's not special because of who you are. What have you done lately? And there's a good point to that, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't get through in life just, just sitting around and being special, you know. <laughs> Right. But his message, and by the way, he, when you walked into his office in Pennsylvania, uh, you in Squirrel Hill, um, on the wall, he had two wooden sayings. One was grace in Latin, and one was in Hebrew, Anila Dodi Vidodi Lee. Okay. And Fred Rogers, who was trained as a Presbyterian minister, back in the day, he had to learn 
Hebrew because he had to learn the the Chumash and the Torah in its original language. So he knew some Hebrew and he would get a big kick out of signing, you know, things in Hebrew to me in a book or whatever, whatever he could remember. But what makes us special? And this is where the whole godly peace comes in. Somehow, and I can't begin to fathom it, somehow God said that he's putting some piece of him in me, okay? So I am special. You, you can't take that away from me. He also gave me a brain, unfortunately. Well, mine's not so big to be unfortunate, but he gave us a brain, <laughs> to, sure us a brain <laughs> to override this soul, you know, and to say, oh, you know, you got to be, you know, fragile. You got to be, take from us. You got to, you know, you can't be satisfied. But the truth is, if somebody insults you, your spouse or whomever says something to you, I'm just here for the journey with God. I truly am godly. And you can use your brain to think in that way. Exactly. Yeah. That's what that's that's the synthesis that's, that's supposed to happen right together between your brain and your soul. And that's what, you know, Adam was from the beginning and Eve. And and if we can just step back and say, look, you're not criticizing me. I'm doing what I can. Most of us do our best. We really do a great job. We I mean, just because everybody you know, does a lot. We take it for granted, but right. we do. You have eight kids, you know, thank God. You have four kids. I was joking with you that after she said eight, you said four, whatever, you know, four is a lot. It's a lot. We work so hard. We do so much good. And, and, and that's, that's really good enough. God is happy and, and we have a part of him and that gives us all the ego. I can be satisfied. I can still want to grow. I have to grow, but I can be satisfied. I don't have to grab from you. I don't have to put you down to make myself feel better. I don't have to be angry at any different perspective you have. I don't have to take it so personally. I just have to keep growing and knowing that whatever's going on, God has a plan and I'm going to have to like it whether I like it or not. I want to talk about triggers for a second because... Um, oh, I triggered. We talk- <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 I triggered a question in my mind. He triggered something. Right. No, well, you, you said... So you, you, you mentioned narcissism. It's, I feel like it's a trending word these days. If somebody is trying to do that, really trying to grow and not have their ego in the picture very often, but they're with someone who maybe you know meets the criteria for narcissism or somebody who maybe does have a lot of work to do. Um, how does someone not, and I think this is a wider question of how does somebody not internalize what they're dealing with in a marriage um, and try to see the world from the perspective of another when that other is... Doesn't have... An narcissist. Let's just say a narcissist. a lot of questions. Okay, yeah. A lot of questions. <laughs> how do you handle a narcissist? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a whole, that's what was ever had, right? right. But, um, but, to your point, you know, when we when we're born, we're born as um, you know little babies, right? We're not we're not feel one way or about it ourselves or, or not. We get messages right, right throughout our lives, and sometimes when we have insecurities. Those messages get amplified and amplified from you know kids at school, from family members, from the world, right? And what a narcissist does is they they play on a lot of those aspects, and whatever self doubt we have in within ourselves, they have to push you down in order to raise themselves so that there they have the, as you said, the fragile egos. And so they have to feel really good about themselves. But putting your narcissist aside, I think there's just people in the world will always do that, right? People want to feel better. So they put other people down. And that goes to our point of, you know, feeling, um, feeling good about yourself. And if you can solidify that and realize that all those insecurities you have within yourself, they were put there. 
they they were put there by some other voice, by someone else in the world. And if you can work on yourself to feel really secure and centered in who you are and your belief system and what you know, then anyone, narcissist, friend, maybe, you know, brother, sister, whatever, you will be shifted um, to start believing that and you stay solid in that. I love that. And, and get me back to the narcissist. Yeah. But, but so much of what we've done has been to help people understand that you're you're hearing a perspective about yourself commonly that you were trained to hear in childhood. And that's for better or for worse. Our childhoods have everything to do with how we perceive ourselves. And many people want to say, I, I, I can't go by that. was 20, 50, 80 years ago, whatever it is, come on. No, what happened was we were developed as little children to feel loved and deserving of love or to feel deserving of less than love or disappointment or anger or hate, whatever. What happens is by the time I'm six and seven, I already have that going on in my head. Now, I just support it with all the future relationships I have. So when people say to me, well, when I was a teenager, this happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, because you're already in that perspective. You turned right instead of turning left and kept supporting. And you've been saying this to yourself in your head without realizing it, hearing all this noise, without even realizing that you've been doing it. So now you're 50 years later, and it's very solidified. But when we're able to break open, to crack open that root and say, you see where it came Mm -hmm. from, you can see it, can't you? Do you want to live the rest of your life choosing to just listen to that perspective of whatever it was that went on in your childhood? And it is not an indictment of parents. Parenting is hard. Most parents I, can't, I think all, maybe not all, I guess they're abusive ones, that they really are, their intention is to do good. They didn't mean to do anything bad. My father, may rest in peace, uh, he was beaten with a whip by his father, okay? Yeah. I never knew the man, but he was probably a very good man because my father explained that a cat nine's tail, which because they just couldn't have a whip, it was a, it was a ball of, of, of uh, leather nine. with nine tails coming out. He said it would hang on the over the kitchen table like it did in many people's houses. So he wasn't an abusive man, my my uh, grandfather back then. But do you think that had a perspective and shaped my father's life? Of course, it, it's going to shape you. It doesn't mean that the, your father or mother are bad people. It doesn't mean that in the world to come, we don't be looking up at the soles of their shoes. It just means that whatever they did in that mix, it had a lot to do with what you think about yourself mixed with your genetic predispositions. So that's something that's very hard to get to, very hard for therapists to be able to help people through that because most therapists make a big mistake and just convince you and me that, you know, you screwed up, your childhood messed you Sorry. up, you're done, right. go home. And just and- listen for years about your childhood. Yeah, exactly. Right. Going nowhere. <laughs> right, right, right. There's a reason. Yeah. And our purpose. perspective is no, realize that that happened so that now you must change it and say, I get to choose. It's going against the grain now because I've been thinking that way and it feels, yeah, uncomfortable. You don't even see it coming because it's so unconscious, but you make it conscious and little by little you change your life. And have you seen many changes in that way? It's the best thing we do because lots of times people come in and, you know, to any therapist and they'll say, what do I do? And I say, uh, you want me to tell you what to do? Yeah, I'll tell you what. What would you tell your best friend who had the same problem to do? And do you know 100% of the time they have a very good answer? Read answers. It's just read answers. <laughs> they know the answer. Right. And, then, you know, and then we say, okay, do it. Do you it. do it. Uh, no, can't. 
So yeah, what is it. that? What's stopping someone? What's stopping someone? Well, there's something underlying. There's something ingrained. And if we can be aware of that, if you can make that connection, be aware of it, then you realize, oh, this is not who I am. It feels like who I am that because it's so ingrained. But I have a choice. I'm an adult. I can choose that. And to your point about the narcissist, I think one of the most important things when I speak to women who are in marriages like that and want to stay in relationships, I said one of the things is being very aware. If you're aware of what he or she is doing and you are aware when they see something, if the gaslighting and all, all the stuff that narcissists love to do, if you're aware of it, that's, that's like 75% of the battle because then you can see, oh, it's not me right? The narcissist wants you to feel like it's your fault. Right. But if right, you're like, right. wait, no, that's yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait a yeah. second. Right. Then you can live, you can, you know, it's it not, they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad, it's something a marriage throw away if there's a lot of good there and you have kids and, you know, and also there's a varying degree of narcissist or any other kind of uh, mental illness diagnosis, you know, right. personality disorder. So right. it's a matter of what the person can handle. But awareness in all aspects of life is going to be the most valuable. Right. So commonly to pick up on that, when your spouse has a response that's not commensurate with what just happened, okay, then you know that this is not personal to me. I might have said something that hurt your feelings, but if you are blowing smoke like unbelievable, then I know I'm not responsible for that. You're responsible for that. I might have to still hear about it and talk through it, but I don't have to feel that now I have to defend myself because that's not on me. Right. And more importantly, really you'd be the person right. to realize mm -hmm. that your response might not be commensurate with what just happened. Right. You know, so that you can say, hey, there's something up with me. You might have done something that was hurtful or insensitive, but that did not mean that I had to have this kind of reaction. So that's very right. different. To the narcissist point, and just understand that when we say narcissist, yeah. there's a diagnostic manual. Let's all understand that the diagnostic yeah. manual is basically there's a list of you know nine things. You have six out of these, it's you're that. You know, let's say you have five out of them. You know, okay, you still you still got trouble. So it doesn't really matter. The point you're saying is, let's say you're somebody who you just feel has a a, a narcissistic type of personality and you can't talk things through with them, they're always going to be right. It's always going to be explained around them. That's very difficult. Now, here's the deal. Or you're someone that's in a whole place and they're not there yet. Correct. So well, just on different ways. Right. It right. depends on the continuum, right? That's yeah. really the, the severity to the, to the lack of severity is really the issue. So obviously, somebody who's a narcissist, you're not changing them. It's very unlikely, you know? Somebody who's just like kind of self-centered, like to hear their own voice. Okay, that's a lot of people. That can shift and change. You can catch that person at the right time. And, you know, you start to think to your point of, of awareness. But sometimes in life, you must be realistic. And sometimes y y you say to yourself, look, this marriage has value and I want to keep this marriage. Now, I want to keep this marriage. I have to realize who I'm married to and stop hitting my head against the wall the same way. When people say, oh, I tried that. I tried that. You know, I said, you want to try something new? Because they've tried it a thousand times. I said, you didn't try a thousand times as bad. You tried one thing and then you That's repeated it 999 times. Right, the definition of insanity. Right? Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, just recognize, you know, sometimes, to your point before, I, I might have to rely on my sister and my friend yeah. for more of my emotional group than my spouse. That's okay. Right. To the right. extent right. that 
everyone can have this fantasy of 100% or 90% of my emotional value in life is going to be shared with my spouse and we're just going to cuddle every night and and we're going to groom each other. You know, it's, you know, like monkeys, you know, with the, you know, it's not going to be that. That's not the way it's going to be. Is it really? Yeah, what you just said. I mean, I think it's realistic in very few relationships that people have that kind of comfort with each other and they've worked, you know, to, to get there. So I think it's a great value to have, but I do not think we should make people feel bad for not having that. And 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 that, that doesn't mean that they don't have a great relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we would, I, I know I'm skipping ahead and getting to the <laughs> question, but, but <laughs> like, you know, some, when people come to me and say, you know, divorce, you know, uh, should I get divorced? Not get divorced. But sometimes I think like this, I say, look, what kind of marriage do you have? Let's say you have a C plus marriage. You want an A and you think you're going to get divorced and you got to run off. You got to find an A marriage. Very unlikely, by the way. There's no chance your second marriage, you're going to find a marriage because there's a reason why you're getting divorced in the first place, but we, we can get to that. But you had a C plus marriage. Okay. You have, you get to see your kids a hundred percent of the time. That's a B plus. You know, you mean if you stay married, you stay married. Yeah, yeah. You get to yeah, because that brings joy and yeah. energy into your life, yeah. right? Yes, much. You get to keep this house, social friends, uh, not have to go through all the. Ah, sounds like you're living like a B plus, A minus overall life. Now let's leave the marriage. Let's go get an A marriage. Uh, please, A minus. Please, we can't be ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> you see your kids. Half the time, oh, now we're down to like a C, you know? You lose half your money. Yeah, yeah you got to move. Uh, you, you, these friends won't talk to you. Those friends, every Simpson, every happy time is, is more about, sounds like you're living like a C life at best, you know? So sometimes everyone wants to, you know, slice things up and say, I just want this middle piece of bread and that's what I want, you know? But, you know, life is about the whole loaf. And, and yeah, I got to evaluate all of that. And sometimes it's a matter as a spouse of saying, okay, instead of me trying to pull all of this or so much of this from this spouse, I'm going to pull some of it and I'm going to find other ways to experience other emotional connections in, in other spaces. Now, that's not the way to go into a marriage. I'm not saying that's what we know we're, we're looking for per se, depending on, you know, the, the percentages, but that's okay. That's okay. What's not okay is to continue to want from that person what they cannot give. If, of course, we're talking about abuse and verbal abuse and you're putting yourself down, you just feel horrible. Most people who get divorced should so-called get divorced because they of relief. They need relief, not because there's another person out there. I say to people, imagine you're never going to get remarried, ever. Do you want to get divorced? Now, if they say yes, there's a good chance that you got to look at that seriously, you know, because they just need relief from the pain and suffering of what's going on in this relationship. Right. So instead of compartmentalizing, we need to really see the big picture. Like, how do I want my life to be as opposed to just my marriage as one small piece? And what that person offers you, you're building a life together. I mean, the idea of building a life together is you're building this this beautiful life. And, you know, when we get married, you know, we, we, we have these ideas, but you're marrying someone, you know who they are. Generally, you have this idea, you have this sense. And let's say that person is a great breadwinner, right? But they're always working. Well, okay, but they're providing for you. Oh, but I want to talk to them and this, and they have to, they're not emoting. And I hear that a lot. I'm like, okay, hold on. 
this person is fulfilling a huge need for your family. Now, can he or she be a little more open, a little discuss, talk more, be able to, yes, we can all adjust. They can understand your perspective. Um, you have to have respect. You have trust. I mean, those are really, obviously, there's foundational issues. But um, if you keep at a person, at a person, and trying to change and expect something from them, that's where you see real unhappiness. Um, as opposed to sitting down and, you know, obviously we always change and adjust to our spouse as best we can, but understanding that this is who they are and loving them, really loving them for that. Yeah. So if we want to um, accept them for who they are, but at the same time, also we want to bring out the best in each other. Right. So how would you suggest bringing out the best in each other when you accept, like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Bringing out the best in each other and accepting it. Here's why. So it's going to also go to my number one best I technique for marriage because everybody says what's the most important thing in a marriage everybody thinks I'm going to say communication boring please please I always laugh with people like I, I said they sit down first session so once in a while I'll say yeah yeah I want you to tell me what he's going to say about you <laughs> and you to tell me what she's got to say about you and they and they they say it Perfectly. You know why? They've been communicating so much. They communicate beautifully. They know exactly what they can't stand about each other. So anyway, the number one technique, most important art of a marriage, I believe, is appreciation. It's appreciation. Because you just said how we bring out the best in somebody. You know, it's very easy. Appreciate them. Tell them all the good things that they're doing that you really love and appreciate them. And you know what happens? They give you more of that. Tell them all the stuff that you don't like about them. It seems to boil and brew and you get more of that. So if I bring people in and I say, uh, here's you know a piece of paper, a legal pad and paper, and I want you to take five minutes and tell me all the things you appreciate about each other. Now, these are people obviously in crisis, so you know consider that. So they're sitting there that they don't need five minutes. They can barely crank out two things, you know, on that piece of paper. And I always ask them the same question. What about the fact that, you know, he's makes money and he's a good dad and she makes money and she's a good mom? And they always say, ah, they're supposed to do that. They're supposed to. Like, you don't get credit for what you're supposed to do. You only get credit for something you do way above the call of duty. However, most 98% of what we do is what we're supposed to do, and we work hard at it. We should be appreciating that. We should constantly be thinking to ourselves and telling the person. I tell people two appreciative comments a day, uh, gestures. It can be uh, a loving call. It can be an emoji. I went like this because I'm old, so I do this. <laughs> emoji. emoji. Loving call. Kids are teaching you. What do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Small. Uh, let me turn off the TV. I don't know. What do do? Okay. But anyway. Um, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, a flower, a magazine yeah. I thought of you. And it's so easy. It's so, so easy. easy. It and you have an Instacart. Right, right. Yes. You have Instacart it's now. It's easier. even easier. And, and it's remarkable. And I, you, know. you know, I want to, we were going to save our listener questions for the end, but I feel like this ties in so well with what we're talking about now. Yeah, that's, I was just thinking uh, about that. Yes, yeah, we gathered some data, gathered questions from both men and women because we do uh, acknowledge there are some uh, male listeners. So I'm going to read this one. So basically we got questions from, we decided to ask yes, other people that. to yeah. send in some questions. And, and let's and, mention that uh, we have a podcast yeah, yeah. and it's called Better and Better Psychology. You're going to be guests. And, uh, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I know it's going to be great. <laughs> and it's a live call-in podcast, which we have yeah. not found any psychology show that we can just call in live and be able to, you know, ask your questions. Didn't Dr. Laura... 
do that yeah, on radio. Yeah, radio. radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Podcast right. now is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Calling it yet. Yeah. That's the idea. That's great. Um, uh, Coach Nachum, actually, a shout out to Usher Parnes, who, who has been doing this since COVID. And uh, that was very lovely. And and that was the format. He had me on and we would start questions and go to midnight. I mean, right. just, there was no end. And it was wonderful for people to actually be able to you know touch with you and and, and connect in that way. So anyway. Yeah, no, I love that because a lot of the same underlying issues exist and people just find themselves in every Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. situation might be different, but yeah. it's yeah. the same dynamic. And that sometimes it's to good to hear what someone else is going through to realize, you know what, maybe maybe my life is not as bad as I thought it was. Right. Or you can relate to the question and you hear and you hear... You see, I'm not alone and I can work through this. Yeah. Also, our brains are wired to go to the negative, you know, especially as Jewish people. (laughs) That's how we survive, right? (laughs) Where's the... Uh, So we're geared to the negative. So it's... Is um, that naturally how it is? That default? Yeah. Survival of fittest, right? We're survival. Hey, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so we really have to work our brain to change to the positive, right? And that's why we have such a hard time. Like you have um, positive parenting now, right? You know, instead of saying to your kid, um, stop that, don't do that, right? If you focus on the good stuff, you know, they listen more. And I think parents, um, that's a very common thing. People, oh, for our kids, we're going to do that. You know, oh yes, we're going to shift our minds. You do it for yourself, for your marriage, for your, you know, for life. And you actually, um, you know, the Torah says like when you speak, right? That's what Lashon Hara, we have to be careful with our speech because whatever you put out into the world, that's what you're putting out. So do you want to put out negative or you want to put out positive? And the positive is what's going to, you're going to get back. So it's remarkable. Every positive or negative thought you have changes the brain chemistry in your brain. So it doesn't mean that one thing's going to, you know, completely change and shift, but it really has a scientific change on who we are. Okay. And the fact is our default is to be negative, negative meaning cautious. You got up today. Do you know how many cautious thoughts you had without realizing it? You got into a, you got, you walked out into a street, you got into a car. You, I mean, there's so many things that you had to worry about. And if you were just happy-go-lucky, uh, you know, a truck's going to, God forbid, you know, just right. going to protect you. are more cautious than others. Well, yeah, yeah. that's what we're saying. We're yeah. saying the idea yeah. is to not allow, the point is that's the default. The point is we have to right. work at being positive. Right. And when we start to have negative emotions or negative feelings, we say, hey, hey isn't, aren't things wonderful? Listen, my spouse and I were together 36 years, thank God. So <laughs> the, the default of a human being is to be cautious and nervous and your joke about being Jewish, I mean, of course. So, so you can't be, you know, la-di-da walking around. But the idea is to override that and to see wonderful things in those moments when you're negative. So I've been married 36 years. Well, we've never had an argument. We've never had disagreement. We've never, of course we have. But the one thing that we've done is I'm able to sit there and say, okay, this moment stinks and doesn't feel good. But this is the person I've lived my whole life with. She does so many wonderful things. I remember that she's always there to love me. She might be making a mistake. I might make a mistake. At that moment, I probably don't even know who's the one who's making the mistake of not both of us. But I recall the positive. So I might walk away and for a moment, you know, grumble. But I'm in the moment, I'm saying, hold on, just take care. Hold on yourself to yourself here, you know? We're all imperfect. And, and let's look at all, just recount, remember all those wonderful things that this person has done and what they mean to you. And and that tells you that this is, you know, a, a blip on the radar. This is a detour that I'm not going down. 
failed couples, they they take that detour and they keep driving and they they see the sign that the that the bridge is out and they still keep driving. I mean, it's just they're going there. They're not they're not right. returning and saying, okay, turn around, get back on the on the big highway that's working. And and that's how you have to, you know, perceive it as your you're saying to do a bit a pause. Yes. And yeah. yeah. shift your mindset. Yeah. I tell people one of the easiest things that people say, one of the I say, well, the first thing you can do is you can, you know, I mean, say shut up. And then <laughs> say that, <laughs> shut up and walk away. You can always walk away, collect yourself for a minute or two and come back. You know, it's always better than just, you know, having yeah. noise in your head and just saying how you feel and, you know, and all these people, I got to tell, you know, say it like it is. Right. You don't have to say it like it is. Yeah. Stop saying it like it is. One wants to talk it out. The other one wants the space to like, yeah, what do you write there? When well, so, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that whoever walks away has to say, listen, I can't talk about this now, but and I, will. I will return to it. It becomes my responsibility, whoever the walker away is, um, to come back within a few hours and say, okay. You know, let's let's pick up on that. They can't just walk away and we don't talk about it, and then the other person. Is, and then that's part of these things onto the wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's very important because you're yeah. you're not acknowledging it when you're not addressing it. Everyone just feels hurt, right? So if you walk away, that's what people will walk away because yeah. if you're having an argument, someone walks away, oh, in a huff, don't do that. You know, you're walking away, say, look, I need a moment. I'm going to take my take my time. You say it calmly. You walk away, and then that person comes back and has that conversation. Because right. if you don't have that conversation, a person who feels they feel, you know, yeah. And to that, I, I just want to add that that a lot of people will say, "Well, when I'm in the moment, I just can't handle myself, and I can't do that." However, I saw a very cute example about a mom who was yelling at her kids, and then her phone rings, and she picks up the phone, and she was like, "Hello, you had a diet, exactly. <laughs> a miracle." So we know how to Magically, do it; just we have to want it. Look, and I think there's something to be aware of. Like, look, we learn how to be you know, parents, and we learn how to be spouses from watching the relationships in our lives. So growing up, what relationships do we see? How did they have conflict resolution? How did they resolve things? So when someone says, well, I just, I couldn't help myself yelling. Well, maybe they witnessed their parents constantly yelling at each other. So they think this is how um, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to, this is how it's supposed to be, you know, and and it's really not. And you have to think, what do you want for yourself? What do you want for your family? Okay. So I want to go to this question. And and then to discuss that now, because it gets you to meditate. On that thought before the moment comes, right. and you can speak so. to your thoughts, and then you can come back and say, you know, tell you to do the question. Okay, <laughs> I guess. Um, so it's a question on balancing acceptance of a spouse with expectations from them. So this can be applied to a husband or a wife, but this is a husband writing in. I find myself constantly comparing my wife to other women. When I hear people talk about their wives, I can't help but feel uh, unhappy that my wife doesn't make an effort to look attractive or at least try to care. If I tell her something or make a comment in a nice way, she'll either brush it off or get mad um, and maybe make it my problem. So whose problem is it? Is it mine or hers? Well, it's both of their problems, clearly. And always answering specific questions, you know, when I ever, you know, do on our podcast. So I don't know a lot of the context and the detail. So I I don't know, you know, what this woman looks like or how how much she has ignored her appearance versus really doing a good job. And he just is looking around and saying she doesn't look like her. I I don't really know. Obviously, there's a balance, okay, that we want our spouses to look good for themselves and for each other. And I think the main thing of that is uh, we want to be healthy, you know, we want to go to the doctor. We want to say that we feel healthy. And this is a this is a, a real this is a real big issue. It's a big issue for men to women, I have to say, because uh, you know men are trained to look at women and 
see them and their size and everything about them. And the irony of that is that it changes through the generations. You know, when I took my kids to to uh, the Louvre and we saw the Mona Lisa, they all thought, oh, that's so interesting. And I thought to myself, you know, that Mona Lisa is no size two. I realized... <laughs> She's like a gentle woman. Exactly. Exactly. Back then, you know, if you were skinny, you were like poor yeah, or something. You know what I mean? Now you gotta be skinny or I mean, like so so much of it is really what we want to see. And it's back to the negative, the lack of the fragile ego. I want what I don't have. I got all this. Not good. What else is out there? I want what's over there. Scientifically, studies show that we're happy with new things for about two or three years. That's why your car lease is about two or three years. That's why, you know, you get a new puppy. It's great. Three years later, you get another dog. You know what I'm saying? Can't do that in a marriage. Maybe with kids, it's good. You know, three years, I'm done. I want another one. You know, maybe it works that way. You have to tell me. You're the, uh, you're the leader here in right? this group. Of, uh, <laughs> But um, so I think the, 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 so the bottom line is this person, I don't know how he has spoken to her or not. Clearly, if I want someone to look better, it's always about let's do this together. Let's do it together. I want to look better. You know, I want you to look better for me. And that's okay to say I want you to look better for me. By the way, that's okay to say. It's okay to say, look, I, 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 I think you're lovely. I think you're beautiful. I'm attracted to you. Uh, I'd like to be you to look even you know better for me if you don't mind doing this, if it's reasonable okay if i'm asking you to go to the gym for four hours a day and neglect your 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 work or your you know uh, parenting then that's ridiculous but you know if i want you to go with me and we'll buy some things that you can wear just for me or whatever when we're out and about that's okay and and she does the same thing to him because by the way <laughs> what us men we got married we thought we had fashion we thought we looked good we didn't know anything until we met all of you okay <laughs> nothing you're gonna show us the way but the point is is that that's that's okay and we hopefully do end up you know looking better so very much looking around today uh we have to realize that everyone's imperfect okay we cannot be so stupid as to look at somebody else's situation and say that, I wish I had that situation. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Everybody has their problems and their tsaurus. You know, everyone's imperfect. There's no perfect person. And you, 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 I wanted to pick up on a point, it's, it works here, is that very commonly, the very thing you love about your spouse is the very thing that you don't like about your spouse, you know, because the personality that, you know, the guy, let's say he's making money and he's a CEO and he, he bosses around 100 people a day, but I wanted to come home, I wanted to be sweet and flexible and easygoing. No, no, that's not what you love about him there. He's strong and he's manly, he's protective, if that's what you like. And if she's this bunch of love and this, you know, your wife is this loving person who builds you up and, 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 and nothing gets her down. But, you know, she won't write that thing down in the, in the, in the checkbook and she won't follow the budget. Yeah. Well, that personality is not a bean counter, you know, and I don't mean to be, I, I, God forbid I should be stereotypical. I don't mean, I don't know why <laughs> examples are, but my point is whatever it is, 
Okay. We are on. It's the concept of the whole loaf. Like you yes. carry the whole yeah. loaf. Yes. And, and, exactly. and the problem is that's people think that they they can get absolutely everything. Yeah, they, exactly. Right. Yeah, they right. think they can get the Especially yeah. today because yes. Instagram and uh, social media. Well, so everyone puts on a persona. Yeah. Yes. And that's okay. But when you're with your spouse, you are going to be your raw, your real, your true self in a loving way. Obviously, you know, you know so... That's what you want to see in each other. And when you say you married the whole loaf, yeah, you married all the parts and then the parts that, you know, you like about them. Oh, there's the opposite end of it. And it's that's part of that acceptance of saying, oh, this is what they are capable of. Not that, oh, they can't do this and that's why and that's why I'm angry at them because they can't. It's that, no, look at what they are capable of. And when you start building each other up like that, you can then, like you were saying, bring out the best in each other because you know exactly your spouse and their strengths. And then you build that into each other, you know? And one of the things we're saying about coming from a place of love, you know, and dressing up for each other. And if you really want to bring out love within your relationship, whatever it is, you want to do something for yourself because you love them, right? And if they love you in that way, we're going to try our best to make each other happy. And I find when I'm with couples, if they know it, just about knowledge, if the other person knows that the other person is trying, it doesn't really matter like if they succeed or not. It's that, oh no, they put in the effort. Right. Well, see, they really did try because they love me. Right. Yes. And you feel yes. that love and then you feel like you're on top of the world. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, That's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the love is in, is in the effort. Right. So this guy and... Uh, before we end, I'll actually give an actual, you know, summation to this person, this this person who's actually asking the question. We're all over the place with it. But, you know, sometimes, uh, like, one of the things, a great thing for a marriage, which we'll get to right now in the context of this, is the date night. And I tell people when you're married, you should go out one night a week for two hours by yourselves, okay? And on that date night, you can talk about anything you want except three things. Money, work, and kids. Oh, wow. And people always <laughs> laugh and they say, what are we supposed to talk about? What are we supposed to? And I say, listen, I can promise you that when you were young and falling in love, you were not talking about those three things. I know that because if you were talking about the stresses of money, work, and kids, you never would have gotten married. <laughs> you never. So it's, it's also not- how the kids drive you crazy and then you go out and you're talking about it. Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's not what got you here. You have to Drive me crazy in a good way. Talk, of me. course. Yes. <laughs> and you love your kids. Kids, your mother you loves you. She speaks so highly of you. She wants more and more and more. Okay. I now. <laughs> so... The, so the the idea that we have the date night and not with other people, because when you go out with other people, the guys talk to the guys, the females talk to the people, forget that, just by yourself. And you learn that you have to talk about other things. You can Google now, my wife and I have done, you know, best first date questions. You know, there's lots of fun things out there that you can actually do to develop conversation. And also don't do the whole dinner thing. Don't always go to dinner. You know, you sit down at dinner and now two hours, you got to have a lot of material, you know, <laughs> you better be really interesting and entertaining, you know, you go do something active, go walk around, go, you know, to do something different. Also share experiences. Yes. When you yeah, share, yeah, that's yeah. why dating, you know, when you date someone, you're doing new experiences, people right. are looking up dates, because when you, um, right. studies have shown when you have a new experience with someone, it bonds you, it creates closeness and excitement. That's why if you uh, ever try to make a new friend, like you go out and do things together. Right. Same thing with your spouse and people forget that. They're like, oh, well, we have kids, oh, life, we're not supposed to do that anymore. Right. It's right. a great dating tip too. 
Good dating tip right here. We just threw in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Rather than getting in the car, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I know. You know, that kind of thing. Like, like, like let's put exactly. some effort in. So to this, to this person's problem and to what you were saying is that, you know, part of let's do this together is let's go out together. Now we go out. Now you got to, you know, you got to get a little dressed up. You know, I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. So many times we just want our spouse to do something, but we don't really want to be involved in the fixing either. Well, the fixing here is I love you. I want you to look a certain way with me. Uh, let's do that together. Let's go out. Let's have a good time. I'll make the time. We'll go somewhere f- happy and some place that's nice and, you know, we'll get it done. And in that way, now we're developing rather than just him standing on one side saying, you know, why don't you dress up and, you know, don't look like my Bobby or whatever the case might be. You know, you know these are all negative, you know, sad things that, that don't work. And we can really empower other people with our positivity and us putting some effort into this relationship. How much effort do you put into your marriage? Think about it. Think about all the things you do in your day. You know, most people, if I say to them, what are you doing for your marriage on a daily basis, on a daily basis, that what they're doing on a monthly basis. <laughs> Deal what they're doing, you know. But if I ask you, what are you going to do to be successful at your parenting or at your business? Oh, oh my gosh. I, I got, we got a lot. Of t- we're reading, we're doing, we're thinking, we're talking. We got time and effort, energy, everything else you want to be successful out in life, you are doing a tremendous amount of work and thought about. Your marriage, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. It, it doesn't make sense. Right. You, well, I, I'm going to give you a hard situation here to answer. Okay, about okay. Some, a couple Did I answer that guy, that, yeah. that husband's question, I, you think? I mean, I... You got more so than yeah. me. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, that's good. To. I was actually we'll thinking maybe up if, if, on yeah. a live podcast, you can give different ways to share that with a wife. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's all about how you say it. Oh, very yes. much so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so. I think it would be hurtful for any woman to hear, well, the message, just like, I need to look better. You know what no, I mean? What, so, he, what he was saying, yeah. it, uh, there's a, this, this, this analogy that I love about um, being around a table. If you're with your spouse, you're not on, uh, on uh, opposite ends of the table working out the problem that's sitting on the table. It's like you're on the same side of the table. Right. Right. And you're working that same problem together. You're on the same team. Yeah. Like the so deal, let's go out. Let's do this together. Yeah. 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 One, of the, one of the best pieces of advice I got on marriage was from my grandfather. He was a G, uh, chief circuit court judge. And one of the things he would say is attack the problem, not each other. And that's a very, it is, it's, think about it. It's, you know, yeah, that's why I attack the problem. Right. Right. You know, even if you have different ideas and you're defensive, okay, focus on the issue at right. hand, whatever right. that is. You're on a team, yeah. your team marriage. Right. If you've played a sport on a team and somebody's not pulling their weight, if you say to that person, I'm not passing you the ball because you're not pulling your weight, you lose the game. You lose. Right. A team is always about, okay, you're not doing what you need to do. How can I help? How do we work this out together? It has to be a team approach. Once you break that concept and we're now thinking differently than team, unfortunately, that starts to the fracture of marriages. Right. Yes. No, I think that that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's um, another question I actually didn't include it here, but well, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to, like, we're not going to answer that question, but I said, um, it was about a spouse not being attracted to their significant other anymore. And they were, it was a similar question. That's why we didn't include it here. It was like, whose, whose problem is this? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and I was thinking about it. Well, if, if let's say a husband's not attracted to his wife anymore, maybe, I don't know, maybe they are much, well, I'm not going to say wife. Um, I was no, but say he's saying this different situations. What? He's saying this different situations. Maybe she's not taking care of herself, but if it's someone that is taking care of themselves, then maybe it's on him. You right. Know? But I'm saying exactly. the problem is, it's like you said, you're right. It's your yeah. father, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's yeah. let's tackle this problem together. Right. Our, Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. No matter what, it is hurtful for the other party to hear, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that, yeah, that's, that's criticism. Yeah, yeah, if that's what they hear. Well, but you're also it, not saying it that way. Yeah. Right. You're not right. saying, oh, you're ugly. You, see, I, I get that. I, I hear that. Oh, well, she's not, she's doing it. She needs to do this. Nobody no, wants like, to hear criticism. Good enough the, exactly. the way I get yeah, but, That's what they're going to say. Am I not good enough the way I am? Don't you love me for who I am? Yes. I love you for who you are. That's the answer. I love you for who you are. And we could continue the way we are. But, you know, we are allowed to just want to grow and try to make things better yeah. with, you know, within reason. Yeah. Right. But but I, I go through life. I, I know this is hard for people. Maybe it's because, you know, I just try to think that the godly aspect, realizing that I'm I'm not just good as who I am. You know, I, I mean, I'm supposed to be doing something. You're I'm supposed to be growing. Yeah. You know. I, I don't want you to think that I'm not good because I'm not there yet. You know, I want you to love me for who I am today, but I'm okay. I mean, you know, wanting to know what I can do better to please others or to talk better, to help people better. But you are correct that none of us want to hear criticism. None of us want to feel like we're being judged. And that goes back to our fragile egos, yeah. you know, and we'd rather not hear that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really all about the way we say it. And it's also sometimes about, is it does it really make that big of a difference? Am I focusing on the wrong things? To your point about social media, social media causes depression in people. They see other people having such a wonderful time. It's terrible for marriages. They see all their friends, they went on this fab, their friends went on this fabulous vacation and they're surfing and they're doing and everything so beautiful because, you know, they didn't show you the the moment after when they screamed at each other and talked to each other for two days, you know, you didn't see the whole gosh, exactly. You know, but they, they're not putting that on there. They're putting just this on there, you know, and, and it makes people feel like, oh, you see, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have that. And it, and it it goes, you know, every which way it's the principle of stop looking outside, looking outside. What are you looking outside for? Work on, I mean, you can look outside just to kind of get a frame of reference for what marriage in the world is like and what people are working on. But beyond that, this is my life. This is your life. This is our life together, our family. What, what is it that we want? It's, it's about us. And God gave us this time. As my father-in-law, she's mm-hmm. quoting him also. No, oh, it's a, see, it's he said another line. He said, this ain't no dress rehearsal. That's what he <laughs> said. That's great. Too. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. This live is it. it. Live it. it. That's it. Make it, make it your own. Yeah. Live, live it the best way you can. And I'm telling you, God is happy with us. I, I walk around and I see what people do, okay? And those people who are earnest and trying. I mean, how could God not be happy with those people? He might be upset with lots of people who are, you know, hateful and, and doing and doing bad things and making people feel bad. But but a lot of people, people like us and our friends, and I can say that because you're not friends with those other people. We're all trying. We're all stick <laughs> yeah, but, together. So you know some people say I did the best I can and I'm thinking I don't know. They, in their minds, think they did the best they can, but they didn't really do the best they can. You know what I mean? In their minds, they think they did, they did the best they can. Did they? Well, <laughs> hard to say. I'm not their shit. Like I wasn't I raised know, by just... their parents. I don't know. But right. the point is, yes, we shouldn't yeah. hurt people and say, too bad, I did the best I can. Right. You know, uh, We shouldn't hurt ourselves and say that. We should, we should always continue to grow. But most of the time when we hurt somebody, it's, it's an accident. It's we unintentional. Didn't have the tools. We didn't yeah. have the tools. We're apologetic. 
is just stop defending yourself and just saying, okay, I, I, I'm going to learn. But we still do a lot of other things that are very good. You know, sometimes people feel so upset and ins- insulted that they say, oh, you're selfish or you're mean or whatever. And I say to them, are, are you mean? And they say, no, I'm not mean. So what that person says you're mean, they're wrong because you're the only one in your head to know if you're really mean or not. Right. It doesn't mean you won't do something that will feel mean to another person. But that doesn't identify you as a mean person. You know that. And if that's not who you are, that's not who you are. Now, you have to come to the facts that you might have done something that was hurtful, and I have to figure out how to work that out with that person. Right. But that's the beauty. A marriage is supposed to be about bringing out the total summation of good for us. I didn't get married for my wife to point out every bad thing about me. I got married because largely I want her to see enough good and sum me up for good. You're good. I love you. I'm still willing to stick around. Now, let's get to work on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, well, it's interesting because we, we had two separate episodes. Um, both were on uh, relationships and there was conflicting advice on each one and I wanted to get your your take on it. So one said that, you know, in a marriage, you divorce should always be on the table because it encourages people to work on each on themselves and on each other. And, and you know, it's like, it should be that opening that you can okay. answer. Okay, that's okay. one. It should be the opening one. that you have the option if okay. you want to. That's what she's right. And then, uh, and then another, on another one, we heard, um, you know, you should. Well, not on no, other one. Not. We've we've grown up to to believe that we uh, divorce is not on the table. I'm saying you hear yeah. both. You hear like there's it should be like this decision was made, and obviously bar, barring extreme circumstances and you know terrible situations, it's like there should always be this feeling that I will never ever walk away because then you know even in the worst of times I can't you know there's no no way out. So what do you think? No, because when you when it's not an option, you can get both of your. I just thought because when it's not an option, then you really work on the relationship. Yes. You're committed to it. Yes, you you, you win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. <laughs> okay, so like I think when people say that, they mean that no one should feel trapped. Right. I think I think that's a very important thing that people don't feel trapped in a relationship that it's so bad. And that's how abuse happens, where people feel mm-hmm. trapped, and the abuser makes them feel trapped, and all that all that stuff. But I always go back to the Torah. The Torah. We have had divorce from time immemorial. Jews to have divorce. Um, other religions, no, they don't allow divorce. So we obviously have a space within our religion and God, you know, has some sort of idea about divorce and we're that have it's, it's an option, but it says that the Mizbeah cries when someone gets divorced. Right. So, so that's right. it. And that's that's the beautiful concept. Right. That that doesn't mean you go into a relationship and say, Oh, well, I can check out. Because when you do that, then how do you build trust? You know, how do you you know, I get couples who are like, We're about to get divorced. They Always got, oh, thinking about divorce, right? And I say, look, we're going to work for six months. You know, for six months, you have to commit to this relationship because if you, if your spouse knows you got one foot out the door, how, how are they supposed to sacrifice? How are they supposed to love? How are they supposed to fall, you know, lean into the relationship if they know you're, you're gone in some form? So I think that's the overall for life. I mean, you can't, how do you through life knowing that that person, you know, is going to leave you? At any moment. And right. it gets even harder because we have 50% of marriages that end in divorce. I think in the Orthodox community, it's, it's lower. I mean, and we do, I think, um, I've seen in the Jewish world, you know, you are, we're very uh, family centered. And that really does help because um, when a fight happens, you know, you don't have society saying, oh, wait, let, 
go, right. leave, you're running. We have support, we have uh, rabbis, we have community, we, we do have that to say, okay, you're having a hard time. You can get through this, you can figure this out. And I think that's a, that's a good message. Yeah. I don't have much to add. It was beautifully said, really. Um, you know, I, I think maybe what the person who said divorce should be on the table, I've heard this theory like, that way I choose to be married to you every day. You know, I could leave right. and I choose to be married. I, I think that theoretically it sounds kind of poetic. I think, you know, troops on the ground, it's a really bad idea because to your point of trust was, was right on. Uh, you know, I, I can't go through life thinking that you might think if I did something today that bothers you, you could divorce me. And and yes, we say to couples who are troubled and in crisis, we say, look, I need six months, three months, whatever, where we divorce is off the table. You can't think about it because if you think like based on today and what the therapist said, would I No, right. we, we can't live under that kind of pressure cooker. We want to be able to know that we have our love and we have our stability now. You know, nobody should take anything for granted. The fact is you can't beat up on your spouse emotionally or obviously any other way, um, you know, and think, well, they're they're stuck with me. You know, uh, right. her father yeah. will never let her get divorced or whatever. I mean, you can't have that kind of stuff because then people do take advantage and it's, it's you know, potentially criminal under those circumstances. So, you know, we have to know that, that that's option. And the fact is, it's interesting. Ms. Baer cries, it's a mitzvah. When you give that get, you, it's some kind of mitzvah. So God it understands that there, there's an ebb and flow. Life is, is challenging, and everything is not about marriage. Now, when people get divorced, um, you don't say to them, big mistake, big mistake. What the heck were you thinking? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Say that. You say that, but spiritually, you say to yourself, you know, God had a reason for you two to come together, especially if you have a couple of kids, yeah. right? You have some kids, you say, well, God obviously needed these two souls to come together and have these kids. And maybe that was the reason. The reason wasn't for the two of you to have uh, this wonderful, magical experience. It was yeah. for some other reason. Sometimes sometimes I've seen meeting divorced people who want to get married again, that that's what allowed them to really look at themselves yes. and learn from their past and be able to go into another relationship. Because like, you were saying you'll see you'll have the same thing over and over again, but sometimes yes. I've seen that some people they actually that, look at themselves afterwards. Yeah, the people who do it, I think um, more recently, people who get divorced do go to therapy. There's a lot, you know, as opposed to when I, you know, I started, I practice a lot of people got divorced or like just jumping from one relationship to the next. Right. I think there's been a lot of you know people self discovery, understand, uh, and, and there's been a lot more understanding of that, and it is very important. But I say anybody in a you know in a relationship, you know, don't wait till you get divorced. Like yeah, that's what's gonna say. Shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. They've been, they well, should have done yeah, it yeah. in the relationship. And so many people go and they're like, oh, I, you know, therapy because uh, this costs money, going on a vacation, going on a weekend away with myself, I can't do it. Well, you know, having a miserable marriage, you know, it costs a lot for your kids, just for your children. I mean, it's funny. We What costs a lot? Divorce or having a miserable marriage? Divorce and a miserable marriage. <laughs> well, divorce costs a lot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we said, we say we're always, we're cheaper than the divorce. Oh, yeah, the attorneys. miserable marriage costs a lot too. You have to go to therapy. Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it costs a lot emotionally. And when you're happy in your relationship and you're happy with yourself, your children flourish and the people around you flourish and life gets so much better and you create more in business and the world. And so I sometimes think we forget about, we forget yeah. about that. And, right. and to your message, uh, second marriage is higher divorce rates than first marriages. And Interesting. And it's unfortunate because most people don't look at themselves. Listen, when somebody gets divorced, and you ask them, why did you get divorced? They blame the other person. You get two reasons. One is, he or she was crazy. And two is, 
I was young and stupid when I got married. So both of those are carefully constructed to say, I, I had nothing to do with this. I'm, I'm perfect, you know? And instead, those people should look at themselves and say, listen, obviously I participated. Doesn't mean I contributed to the bad. Even if my ex was a bad person, okay? He was a bad dude, whatever the case might be. I got to look at myself and say, well, why did I marry that person? Right. What did I do to get involved with that person? How did I stay with it? I mean, like, there's a lot of things you have to learn about yourself. So it's not always like I'm, I'm proactively did bad things. I have to also look at myself and say, you know, like, how, how, how did this all happen? How did I get wrapped up in the, what was my childhood? What was my present? You know, how did I, you know, synthesize all this information? So if you do that, yes, second marriages have a, a, a much better chance of finding the right person. Um, rather than, you know, finding the same problems, you know, wherever you go, you know, you're there. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you meet the second spouse of a friend of yours and you say, first friend of mine. Oh yeah. Your first spouse. Yeah. They have the same, you know, cadence and rhythm and humor and whatever the case may be. And a lot of times we go and we find this, basically the second spouse makes us feel the same way the first spouse did. They might look different, you know, more hair, less tummy, he might, he might look different, but he makes me feel the same way that I felt in my first relationship. So you, you really have to just be open and honest with yourself and, and try to help yourself so that you choose wisely for yourself going forward. So it's like asking, like, how did I get here? Let's say, yes. how did I get to this place where I married someone and now I want to get divorced? Correct. And then once a person does that work, let's say, yeah, at at which point, then they'll probably have a, a lot more self awareness, right? Correct, and be better suited to make the decision either way, whether it's yeah, and have a better relationship in the second, right, in, right, right. Second and know how to work at it, right? But knowing how I got here talks to all those pieces of where I come from and what I'm trying to do with my life and all the things that you no, know, we have like an unconscious, which basically means there are so many things that we don't see. You know, your brain, a person of average intelligence, and you're way higher than average intelligence. <laughs> so if a person of average intelligence, you have, you know, you, you can have 70 to 90,000 thoughts on a daily basis. Do you know you dump 95% or more of those, of those thoughts? When you wanted to cross the street and you guys were having a conversation, you went, you know, like this, and you crossed, but you had like a hundred thoughts. You thought you looked at the lights, you looked at that car down there, how fast it's coming, how fast I can get it. Oh, so thinking about something else completely. <laughs> I'm saying, you don't realize it, but you were thinking it. The most important, one of the most important decisions you made today, whether you're gonna get hit by a car or not, you have no recollection of it. So that's how we live our emotional lives too. We're just, angry and we, we don't know how we got there but we had a hundred thoughts a thousand thoughts from start to finish till we got there but we don't we don't focus on it so the idea of being able to have some insight and look at yourself and say how do you really feel about things when are you starting to feel pained or sad or embarrassed or shame you know you have to look at that and say oh that's that's where my mind is going and it's leading me to the wrong places with myself or people or my children I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk about parenting because that would be another yeah. thing. But again, <laughs> that's someone. Yes. But, but, you know, it's, it, it's all the same dynamic. Understanding yourself helps you in every relationship in life. Just to add to this, I wanted to ask you, do you think um, being married to anybody, like any kind of personality would match with anybody and you can, ma you can make that work? I, I think the, 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 it's a soft yes, meaning that if you're at the point where you get married, Obviously, there are personalities that should never be together, but they wouldn't get married likely in the first place. Right. I think, and I've always told my kids, the, the, 
who you marry is eh, it's a little iffy, whatever. I mean, I know there's a bashert, of course, but it's really what happens the day after that you're going to make this marriage work or not. If you already are getting married, then certain commonalities and love and and biological chemistry and pheromones and all the things have already happened, you know, so it's kind of there. So now it's really in your collective hands to make or break. I, I do find that when, you know, if you have a couple, we have a couple who comes to us, you know, it's if the two people are willing to make it work and want to make it work, that's the biggest thing. Because if two people yeah. are willing to work on a marriage and work on a relationship, you know, that's everything. Because then you have respect for each other. You can work on it. You can, you know, you're you willing to adjust. You yeah. see the value. You got to And you want something. You're determined. If both people are determined, then there can be tremendous success. What if one is and one isn't? Bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're asking Olia. And it's yeah. It's yeah. very difficult. Right. If right. one person wants to work on the marriage and one doesn't, it's always harder. Now, sometimes, you know, someone comes and say, well, my, you know, my husband, my wife doesn't want to, you know, come to there. Okay, so you start. Right. And when you start making the change, they realize that. They're When you start saying, oh, you know, complimenting the other person, working on the positivity, you, the other your spouse takes note and be like, oh, wow, I, I, I want some of that. I want some of that joy. And then they, they usually... Um, just yeah, they notice it right away. I so tell one person doing something differently yeah. can change the nature of the marriage. Yeah. It changes everything about it. you. You'll, you'll see the way your friends, your parents, your kid, the way they respond to you, they will change largely and they won't know it. You'll know it. And they'll have no idea why it's happened. Because, again, it's unconscious. The tone of your voice, the pitch, it changes ever so slightly. The micro the micro uh, expressions, everything changes when you feel loving, if you feel mad at yourself. You know, it, it all changes your whole aura of, of what's going on around you. And people respond to that. Do you, do you find that it's usually the woman? Because it says the woman is the foundation of the home. Yeah, can I buy it? Where it say that? <laughs> it says... Oh, what maybe does it say? telling you that. <laughs> I thought maybe it says it in Asian. The just keeps telling you. It's okay. You're in luck. And so you just kind of feel like the responsibility is all on you. <laughs> Do you find that it's the woman that usually initiates that? When yes, she initiates. Usually, yeah, there's no doubt that women are, whether both biological, but surely it's nurtured in our society in the secular, every all every part of the world, to be more uh, attuned to emotions and socialization and things of that sort. Uh, I think that that can be a burden that is unfair to women. You know, I don't think that it's the foundation of a marriage is more on on any one person than the other. I mean, there's lots of things that go into the foundation. But if you're if you're a woman, you're thinking, ah, he should start. You know, why I always got to be the one to start? Well. You know, you might wait a long time. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with saying I, you know, I can start as long as I feel that I'm getting some response and I'm getting, you know, some traction with that. And that also takes letting go of your ego. Yeah. 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 It does. Well, it's not letting go of your ego. No, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And that's what you mean. But it's really, it's it's building your ego. Right. It's realizing it's it's not that's letting go of it. It's saying that yeah. I have Probably. a good ego. Or, yeah. My ego is strong enough. That I can lead I can and I can step, take right? this first step. Yeah. I, I don't need it to be exactly you to me. Uh, that's, a, that's a fragile ego that says that. The stronger ego, if I'm at peace, if I'm a satisfied person, you know, I, 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 can, I can start and I can initiate, even though I know that it's not fair and you should or whatever. But I have to feel that you're responding. And I think that's important, very important for you as a spouse to recognize that if your spouse is trying 
you you really have to respond. You know, she throws you the softball. You you, you got to catch it. You can't, you can't, there's not too many times that you can just keep walking away from it. And she or he, but your example, she's going to just keep doing it and keep doing it. Cause at some point then it becomes feeling like, you know, you're hitting your head against the wall. And then she decides under those circumstances, um, that I, I just have to, you know, back away and find the good parts of the relationship and the things I'm really trying to get that it doesn't seem like you can give. I have to find that in other pieces of the pie out there with others. And that would be like letting go of trying to change somebody. Right. Part of your expertise, you mentioned in the beginning of, of this conversation that you wrote a book about emotional infidelity. Yes. So I wanted to know how you how you work with uh, with betrayal of trust in a relationship and how you you help couples heal from that. Wonderful. So, um, and also be aware that if you go to newmanmethod.com, uh, we have a creating your best marriage uh, 11 um, session to help people. We have a special unit on post cheating, physical okay, cheating. Yeah. So try to help. It's downloadable. And you get, you know, so, so there's, we, we've tried to help people, you know, far and wide to try to deal with these things, but a great amount of marriages, um, there's cheating. There's very high, high rates, uh, in the secular world about cheating and and the Jewish world, I just, I don't think it's caught. I, I don't mean to say that I can't say we're, you know, better or worse, just it's not, not statistically, uh, it's easy to get. Um, but you have more boundaries, maybe that's why. Like, there's more boundaries. No, but it's hard to study it. Yeah. What I'm saying right, is right, that right. I know the secular study. I don't want to say right. to people who are secular out there, oh, you, 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 you do it, and and right. the uh, right. Orthodox whoever don't. Right. Uh, we just don't know because right. it's hard to catch that right. research. Right. Right. But but it is uh, it is uh, unfortunately uh, it's a big number. But having said that, um, the when cheating does happen. Uh, the the most important pieces immediately are number one, tremendous apology. There's got to be a, a, a very clear apology from the the person who cheated. He or she has got to say, you know, I'm completely sorry. There's got to be a complete cutoff with that person. There's got to be real behavioral changes. See, this is what happens in cheating. If now that we, if we can go there. By the time we get to the admitting of cheating, the 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 victim of the cheating, I, I, I'm we'll just say it's a woman. By the way, in my study of 435 yeah. women, okay, 39 percent of these married women physically cheated. Okay, so I don't want to say that it's always the men cheating. Okay, so but so let's not mm-hmm. be that as a stereotype. Although men cheating, they say is 50 percent or more, whatever. But you're saying okay. that usually you think the stere- the stereotype is that women have emotional and then men have physical? No, no. The, the stereotype is that men are cheating. Right. Men are physically cheating. Women are cheating. So I'm going to say, I'm going to use the example just to make it easy. Right. I'm going to say she's cheated on. Okay. But I don't mean to say right, that right, right, oh, because, it. you know, women are lily white and they and they never cheat. They right. they, they, they cheat as well. Everyone's cheating. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And there's, and there's, we can talk about in my study what actually led, got people to cheat. I mean, rather, rather what, what in their minds, you know, created the, the possibility for cheating because that's an important preventive measure. But the point is, if, if she's been cheated on, then he's got to understand what happened. He's got to understand that I'm going to stop what I was doing. These friends that were helping, my best friend who's always cheating, uh, you know, I might have to change my job. I might have to shift 
you know, my office space if it's somebody at work. And there's got to be actionable things that happen. Most of the time, the, the person who's been cheated on, our example, a woman, she's been lied to again and again and again. People always ask me, what are your signs of cheating? I used to write articles, you know, oh, this, 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 and that. But I always say, listen, here's a sign of cheating. You feel it in your gut. Right. Okay? Something isn't right because you're picking up on it. I understand. You weren't there where you're supposed to stay. You, you stay an extra day. You never stay an extra day when you go in the car. It just, it's something's not up. Are you cheating? No. They... Always lie. I shouldn't say always. Around seventy percent of the time, seventy percent of the time, they lie. Fifty percent never admit until they actually they're 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 caught with the goods, and then they still lie under those circumstances. It's lie, lie, lie. So the woman has been looked at in her face, and has been told, "No, I, she." And then it's the onslaught. The best defense is the, is an offense. What what's wrong with you? Why do you talk to? Why are you thinking like that? Why are you going through my stuff? Why are you whatever? How dare you? My invasion of privacy. I mean, all these all these tricks of the trade. Right. So she often thinks like she's crazy. Right. Like what? Like some when a woman finds out that her husband cheated, there's two immediate thoughts. First of all, oh my god, I can't believe this is me. And two. I'm not crazy. It's like she actually has a moment of relief that like, I, I, I'm not crazy all this time. I mean, yeah, he, he was, something was going on. So there has to be uh, actual changes for her to be able to now even begin to think about trust. And, and he's got to give it up. He's got to be able to say that, listen, I, I value this. I realize that this was a terrible mistake. Um, it's going to ruin my life. If, if my children and people find out this is bad for everybody in my life, and now we have to do everything I can to make this situation uh, a safer situation for you. That's what he has to be able to say. Now, that's stage one, absolute, unequivocally. Stage two is, how did we get here? How did we get here? Is every person who cheats just a horrible human being? No, they're not. A lot of times these people are terrific people. They're great people. They're your spouse. They're good people, you know? So I found in my study, oh, we did it, I mean, I, I say our study because, you know, we did it together, that, that the largest reason that people got when they, they didn't use this in their, they didn't justify this, but it was about being underappreciated. It was emotional. Only 78% of people said I cheated men I physically cheated because I was dissatisfied with intimacy. That was not it. 48% said it was emotional dissatisfaction and it was feeling underappreciated. I felt like I just couldn't win. Now, again, women said the same thing and it's not to say that either one is justifying their, their behaviors, but there is this piece in marriage. Cheating doesn't just start. It's something that develops in the relationship and we just feel more and more disconnected and we feel like it's just not winning for us. It doesn't work. And I use this example for men so that women can understand it. So you can just do a, a, a cheating prevention just to understand this one piece. Men love, they love to win. They love to win. 
Okay, you just saw the NFL games yesterday, the 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 the, the championship games before the Super Bowl. You saw you, your men probably sitting on the couch screaming and yelling. I mean, you would you would think that they owned half the teams. You know, they have no ownership of this team. They have nothing to do with this team other than they've identified that it's their team. Someone who's and they it's unbelievable. But when it gets to the end of the game, whatever point it gets to the game where their team absolutely can't win, can't happen, they turn off the TV. It's like a tragedy. Done. <laughs> They're laughing. No, the men are laughing. Okay? Because the worst is when then they win. It's impossible. It's impossible for them that they turn off the TV. Right. Because when men can't win, That's they right. turn off. Okay? That's true by women as well. But but so I say to women, make sure that, you have, that your spouse, your husband, feels like a winner. Instead of, oh, yellow flowers, I, 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 you know, I don't like yellow flowers. <laughs> Just take the yellow flowers. Be happy. It's such a thoughtful idea. Love is in the effort. You know, be appreciative. Make him feel like whatever you're doing, you win. Because a lot of women are worried that if I, if I tell yeah. my spouse that you did a great job, then they'll say, okay, good, goodbye, I'm going to do, do something anymore. else, yeah. right? But right. what happens instead? They instead, they just want to win more and more. We just love to win. You tell us how to win and we can win, we will keep coming back. We will keep coming back for more. And there's one other point I had this, it's coming back to me for way back, but I really want to make because it's okay. so practically important for men. And it's about listening because you were talking about listening. Men have a problem. They think that if they listen to their wives and understand them, then they have to agree with whatever action their wife states after that point, okay? So let me say this clearly. If I say, if, uh, if you're complaining about my mother, all right, and I say, oh, I understand you. She can be critical and she can be thoughtless sometimes, whatever. And then you say, oh, well, that's it. Your mother's never coming to this house again. <laughs> Just because I understood you doesn't mean I have to agree with whatever step you want to take. Right. So many men, they won't even understand their wives because they're thinking, oh, I better not, I better defend my mother because darn it, if I, if I tell her that I understand, then I'm back, I'll do whatever. No, 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 no. Right. So men, you can understand your spouse. Don't worry about it. Understand her. Try to understand her. And if she comes up with something you don't agree with, you'll say, okay, listen, I understand, but we have to come up with some other creative solution or some other way of helping you rather than this. Right. But I feel like that diffuses a lot of things. When the, you know, when the man understands what it says, oh, I really understand. I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I understand your perspective. The woman feels very, um, oh, okay. Right. You get it. Right. You got me. And all we want to do is like she wanted. That's all. Yeah. That's all yeah. I really want. We yeah. want to be gotten. We want to be understood and heard. And that's all. Right. And it's so simple. Yet it's so hard. You know. Yeah. And it is really so but simple. It, it, so it does. It does boil it down. Right. We just. We really want to be gotten as people. And you just get people. It, it's. It means everything. Everybody. Think about. It. You can talk to somebody who's. God forbid, dying of a terminal illness. They can talk to you for a half an hour, and they feel better. Right. They're not living any longer. They feel better because our whole life here, let's face it, it's about connections. That's all it's about. That's all we can take with us is just the connections. And, and that's what it's going to be about. And the good so, deeds we've done. 
Well, but those good deeds are through connecting yes. to the universe, yes. whether it's a, a pet, a flower, God, or you. Mm-hmm. It's it's about those. All those good deeds always are about, or even connecting to myself and understanding who I am deep inside. You know, so I think we're saying the same yes. same idea. The the connectedness is supposed to be brought bring us to all the good deeds that we do. Yeah, but it it it, it requires us to just be able to sit back and enjoy the journey by saying that, you know, God does have this. And that's the psychological principle. Even for a marriage, I say to people, what, what's what's the purpose of your marriage? What's the godly element in your marriage? If it's just, uh, we're supposed to make money, have kids, uh, have as much fun as possible. I mean, like, it's not going to get far. There, when when couples feel that they're doing something meaningful to life, and that can be raising children to be good people. It can be lots of whatever your brand of it is, but think about it rather than, to the point I was making before, not thinking about anything about your marriage, and it will just kind of happen as opposed to everything else yeah. because everything else doesn't work out well for you because you're not thinking about it and you're not yeah. having a plan. Something I want to mention is in our study with um, in marriages, the biggest predictor of a good marriage, we had set different uh, groups that we looked at. Uh, couples who cheated, women who cheated, women who were unhappily married, and women who were happily married. And the women who were happily married spent 45 minutes or more just talking with their spouse, just time. The women who were unhappily, less. And the women who were cheating, like 10 minutes. You know, day? 45 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was 30, 30 to 45 minutes on a daily average. Wow. Yeah. So the point is time, quite right? A long time. I'm saying, I know, oh, I know we day. all are thinking, oh my God, 30 minutes, 25 is good, 30, 30 minutes we could do also. Point being is anything we want to do well in life is time. When we give to others, when we go do a chesed, we, we, we're giving time, we give time to our children and giving time to our marriage and our relationships, any relationship that, I mean, look, we look statistically, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, prob- it's very important. Yeah. Right. And um, look, you know, everything we do in life as as people, we give time to and it and things grow from it. Yeah. yeah. No, because, well, this is yes, yes, a yeah. question. Okay. And it could be for, for just someone who has a busy lifestyle as well. I'm saying yes. like to take that half an hour. Sometimes it's just 10-minute spurts where we just have yeah. to discuss the kids and discuss uh, are you t- sending the kids on the bus tomorrow or you know what I mean? And to take the half an hour out on a busy day, it's something to be mindful of, like to make create that space. Yes. But this is this is a heavier situation. My wife and I have been to marriage counseling. At one point, we were on the brink of divorce, but we worked through it. Though we have had ups and downs, we never made real headway in our in our um, marital and intimate relationship. We also work together, which makes it ha- which makes it harder to separate our work from our lives. Above that, we have two special needs children five kids altogether, so we have a lot on our plate. What are the next steps? <laughs> <laughs> she could write a book. Like, yeah, she could like, write a book. There's a lot of things sadly. going on. <laughs> yes. Well, what what should she do? Should she go to marriage counseling? Should she deal with the kids? There's so much going on on her plate. She sure. works together with her husband. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes to everything. <laughs> Uh, you know, listen. Counseling is not a simple solution because yeah. it's it's a sh- it's it's short amount of time. But the point for this woman is, again, I think sometimes we have to deal with the reality that we've been given. You know, uh, special needs children is a good example. You know, I mean, God did that. You know, so there's something to that, and sometimes we have to accept the best of what we can make of this life. This is the life I have. Uh, we live in fascinating times. We we didn't have choices like this until now. You know, it was used to be 
since time immemorial, I mean, this was your status in life. Make it work. You know, don't think about jumping to there. So there's there's still some of that that we have to get back to to say, you know, whatever God has planned for me, how do I make this life the best that I can? Without, of course, going crazy or being depressed or crying daily. But if you have special needs children, of course, that's going to absorb a tremendous amount of time. Trying to do that as a way with my spouse as opposed to separate from my spouse is key. Trying to get as much support as possible because, um, unfortunately, tragic and separate from that special needs children, you know, these tend to break up marriages. Uh, because it's just overwhelming. It, it's just an overwhelming task. And it's better for people to be able to say, um, you know, th- this is what I'm going to carve out and I need to get as much support and help. And that's going to be my life. And I'm going to make it the best that I can. And look, the studies show that, uh, you know, paraplegics are happier than lottery winners. I mean, you know, you, you can really make something positive out of very difficult circumstances. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we find those heroes time and again, but they all seem to be doing the same kind of thing. They're really focusing on acceptance of what I have and going from there and making it as, as, as strong and as positive as I possibly can. I think to that point, gratitude has been proven over and over again to change our brains, change our lives. And I think sometimes people are afraid of, you know, if we are just grateful then our negative circumstance won't change or we will forget about it. Um, and that's not the case. If you can say, look, this is the issue I have. I have two special needs kids. I'm running. I'm unhappy. Okay, yes. And acknowledge that. Think about practically how do I solve that? But then you have to add the gratitude and you have to be, ha- you know, you have to see the joy in it because if you don't see the joy in it, then it's just negative. It's just unhappiness. And right. we don't want, you know, we don't want that way. We don't, want, we, we don't want to live that way, right? right? That's not what God wanted. That's not what, what we're meant to do here. And by the way, if you live next to this person, you know, make dinner for the person, go help the person, you know, like, you know, whatever society you're in, like we're we're just, you see, you know that this is a difficult situation. You can thank God that it's not your situation, but every little thing helps. I, I think we get this, we make a mistake in our heads that situations are so out of control that that nothing, nothing's going to help. I mean, I don't have the capacity to really help, but it's the opposite. When you've eaten a full meal and someone brings you something, some water, I don't want that. But if you're starving, the tiniest bit of water means so much to people. So when you see people who are in a difficult spot, just try to do something nice for them. It goes a long way, even if you can't do it again after that. That's very thoughtful. I'll be here for each other. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a really a good point for all of us to hear. Um, well, you're religious, so I think that you're a good person to ask in as far as the religious community goes. If two people start off on the same religious level and then one, for example, one says, I don't want to wear my wig anymore and the husband's not on par with that and she doesn't want to do something that is is um, doesn't feel authentic to her anymore, what would you say to that? What would you say to that couple? It's a It's a difficult question because understand when you come to religion, there seems to be right and wrong. There's very little right and wrong in life. There's a lot of gray. When it comes to religion, there seems to be that. So the first thing I would definitely say is people should contact a rabbi who is forward-thinking and a good marriage counseling type of person. Because 
very commonly, a person could feel so upset with his spouse for doing something and then talk to a rabbi and realize, you know, it, it's really okay. There's a lot of other important things that are working out well, and you don't have to become focused and make this an issue. Right. Too many people are making up stuff for themselves. They are making up, you know, stringencies, and they're accepting them as God's law, and they are not aware enough to know, uh, you know, what exactly is the law versus places of flexibility. Secondly, if a person changes religiously, we want to look at that. And as a spouse, I want to understand what's not working for you. How do I make that better? How do we make that better? What is our brand of Judaism? We are supposed to grow together. And believe it or not, you know, just because my religious level is this doesn't mean that I have to start doing things that are belittling to myself or my religion, but it doesn't mean that I can't do things in a different way. You know, I wanted to have Friday night meals where I have 15 people every night every Friday night, and it's supposed to be amazing and terrific meals, and you are supposed to do all the work for it. Hello? <laughs> Why can you not? I mean, in other words, just because I've assumed that, I have to find out that there's other ways of having a great Sabbath, and it might not include all of my 10 best friends. It might include other people or fewer people or more time with my children. There's so many different ways. God made us, and he put feelings into us and thoughts because we're supposed to look at those and say, yeah, that's what I want to do, um, because he put it there for a reason, because he wants you to do that, you know? So if you love spending time with animals, well, I think there's a reason that God put that in you, because he needed you to do something with animals. If he put in you that I don't like animals and I'd rather do something with children or, or money or whatever, also good. Yeah, Great. sometimes Run you like the children with the animals and you don't want animals. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so toward that, you figure out creative answers right. to that. We get an animal in the sleep right. in the bed next to the person who hates animals. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we figure things oh. out. My husband is not making a good living. He seems to be trying, but every opportunity that he finds somehow falls through. I'm left to have to work to supplement the bills and high costs of our lifestyle. And being religious, also kosher food, high tuition costs, etc. Um, am I self-sabotaging by stepping in and helping him? Should I refuse to work because taking care of the kids in house is already a full-time job? Am I enabling him if I go back to work so he's less desperate to find something? I think you have to know your your spouse, right? If, you know, some people can give advice and be like, oh, well, you're, you know, self-sabotaging, you're supporting him. But if your spouse is having a hard time because they lost their job or that you know, they're genuinely having a hard time, that's, you know, that's marriage, that's life, that's, you know, supporting each other when they're, when you're down and, and up and, and doing that. The, the key is for, you know, this woman, obviously it's, it's hard and it's not easy. It's that, um, marriage, each person has roles. You're not going to be like 50-50 down the middle, but you're going to divide and conquer. And it's very important to have good um, conversation and good communication that your spouse is filling in. If he is not working, is he filling in on the other end and being conscious of your sacrifice? So if you're saying crazy, sacrifice that and, and you're really not, there's not a lot of love in there and you just feel like you're a doormat. Well, then that's, you know, that's then there's something on, then there's something going on. But if you feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm trying and you're feeling like a team and we're going to get through this, then that's positive. So it's really about the nuance and the feeling of it. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think that women sometimes um, get our short shrift to the extent that they might work and work and then then he spends the money and 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 he gets to know where the money is and she does this. I, I don't I don't 
I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't understand. <laughs> you got to get into the game. If you're going to make some money, even if you're not making any money, but you're going to make some money, then the point is this woman, yes, she can get involved. But getting involved doesn't mean just making the money. She said these extravagant you know, lifestyles and expenses. You now have a say in what's the budget? Where's the money going? What are the decisions that we make together? Where we will spend and where we will not spend? It's a total connection about this big thing called money, which is a huge thing. My wife and I wrote a book about this. So it's it's a matter of, of using money as a way of, of being involved with each other and knowing where everything is and, and how it's being spent and having a voice together in that. Right. Like you said earlier, it's like being, you know, Mm-hmm. On the same side of the of, of the table, working the, the yes. in front of you. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. I know Brene Brown has a great example where she says some days, this is more about like each day they have different levels of energy. So some days she's at an 80 and she'll tell her husband, okay, I'm at an 80. So you can be at your 20 right now because I've yeah. got right. this. But right. sometimes she's at a 20 and she's like, hey, right. I need That's your 80 today. Right. So yeah, unless yeah. that balance. Yeah. With everything we've discussed um, and, and all these tools, which age do you think is the best way to go about that to get married? Yes, the best age. The question is, should you get married young? Exactly, I was 10. 18, pretty close. It was a teenager. We're having age, yes. It's a great question, and it probably does separate among lines of secular versus orthodox communities any of any religion. But from a secular perspective, people who wait until more to the mid to late 20s uh, have a, a higher rate of success with marriage. The more education uh, they have, uh, college education, et cetera, um, the the more likely of a of a long term marriage, as opposed to you know much younger or much older for that fact. I think in the um, Orthodox Jewish community that I'm familiar with, of course, uh, I think younger is a standard, and I think there is a lot of support. You know, when you get married, when you're 18 or 20 or 20, it, it's not just the two of you. It's your families. It's the community. It's the rabbi. I mean, there's a lot of people in your marriage dictating a certain amount of expectation, and you're young. So because you're relatively undeveloped, uh, you know, the, the nice thing about younger marriages is that we do develop together if we're using the techniques of trying to be a team and trying to understand each other. If we don't do that, then it's disastrous because we really start to develop largely away from each other quickly, and we become very different people, you know, relatively quickly. Even to your religious observance question, that that can shift and change, and and those things we have to do together. If we're doing it together, it's beautiful. You know, we become better than we ever were together as two souls fused together. If it's done separately, then it, it goes it goes bad quickly. I think besides that, get, the other question that you didn't, the other part of that is waiting to get married till much later. I think that also can be difficult for a marriage because, you know, you're 30, you're 40, you're very entrenched in what you're used to. You're very, very set in your ways. And it is hard to teach an old dog new tricks, you know, and, and it feels like when the spouse comes in, it's very much an affront to everything. Like, I've been doing this fine for 40 years without you, you know, you know, and, and that's the attitude. And that's, that's, so it's hard, but obviously, you know, we can overcome it by having the right attitude of uh, togetherness. And trusting the timing of our lives and whatever age we do get married is what's meant to be. Yeah, for sure. I think there is uh, sometimes we've, we've made the mistake in our orthodox society of putting so much pressure, especially right. upon women, to get married young, uh, that they are pushed into situations that don't turn out so well for them. Um, you know, 
Yeah, I think also, um, you know, and we've seen this uh, trend within the orthodoxy where, you know, people dating for longer, you know, when I was dating, it was like, you know, a few weeks, you know, get married, done, you'll figure it out, you know, good, good, good. And now I do see that, um, you know, with friends and siblings, you know, you wait, get to know the person, right. get to know the person, really understand, especially if you're younger or any age really is get to know them, uh, whatever that time frame is for you, but giving everyone space to really look at things, understand if you're a team, not just, oh, if you like each other, you know, and really um, get to that. So I think that is... That was very helpful. I was 22 when I got married. My wife, I think, was 21. We got engaged between ourselves after the third date. Maybe the, she says the fourth. I don't know where I was. I think I, <laughs> I, was, I was after the third date. Okay, okay, and then we married a couple months later. We never touched each other physically before we got married. This freaks people out in the world. Secular people. I'm a marriage counselor. I write books. Uh, you know, thank God. You know, but on the Oprah show, you've never. How 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 could you possibly take this risk? And it comes back to the fact that my wife and I, besides of course enjoying each other's company and the biological chemistry, etc., we just listened to each other. We really were two people who really liked each other and liked to listen to each other. You know, and um and and you can do anything. You 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 can go anywhere. And you can go through just about anything. God help me. You know, we, you know, we should continue to live okay. And can you share with our listeners how many years you're married? We're married 36 years. We have five beautiful children. We have four grandchildren. One of them sitting right here. <laughs> no, I mean, this is what you turn out, you know, when you have a loving marriage. That's, a, you know, thank God. I mean, you get some credit on your own too, but I'll take all this back. If, if it she wasn't good, I'd get all the blame. Yeah. I would die, so should we get all the credit? But really, you can go through, who knows where life is taking you, but it will take you to good places if you're listening to each other and you feel like you really have a best friend going through it. It's remarkable. Yeah. When I talk to young girls um, who are going through the dating process, you know, it's like they, everyone gets very nervous. Okay, do I like men, especially if you're not touching. It's a whole, you know, it's, it's, it's any dating at any level in any world can be stressful. But one of the things I say is start with, are you friends? Like when you go out, friends, do you feel like best friends? Do you feel like you're having fun? Do you feel a friendship? Because if you feel a friendship and then you have that chemistry, well, that does make a good, that's a great start, you know, because if you're friends and you're listening to each other, you're hearing each other out. Okay, what's, what's the best marriage advice you ever received? The best marriage advice I've ever received, I'm going to think back for one of my books, I interviewed people who've been married 50 years or more. And one of them told me that she had incredible amount of uninterrupted time with her spouse. And she told me that when they first got married, going back a ways now. Right. Because right. I did this book like, you know, 20 yeah. years ago, yeah. and it's 50 years before that. Wow. Wow. She said, you know, we didn't have a phone. It's like when our first year of marriage, it's not like we didn't have a cell phone. You have a phone, okay? Wow. We came home. You're with each other all the time. And they didn't talk to each other. I mean, they sat and they read and they cooked together and they did. You know, the things that, that speak to a marriage are things we just have to take time. Marriage, it doesn't come out of the can. You can't, it's just not going to happen that way. And you just, the more time, and when you mentioned before the study that we did that mentioned a daily average of 30 minutes a day to, to just be around each other and not talk about the problems and, and, and the kids. But, you know, if you actually, you cook a little and you clean up together and you, you know, you, if you watch something, you have a drink together, you know, whatever. You kibitz together. These are things, I mean, 
yet alone play cards, dance, do do wonderful things, of course. But without that pressure, we just need time. And and we give so little time to our marriage when it's not working out well. And that's why these people who are dissatisfied with marriage, 25% of them said that they were spending 5%, five minutes or less a day. The people who are happily married, 25% of them said they were spending 60 minutes uninterrupted a day. Well, so I would say the best, the best advice was to spend time uninterrupted. And translating that to today is please sit down with your spouse, hang out, and shut your cell phone. Put the cell phone away. It's an addiction. I love it. You love it. We all love it. It reminds me every week how much time I've spent on it. <laughs> I, I, I don't breathe without it. We all get it. Just put it away and just you know turn off your life and and turn off the outside and you will be turning on to your marriage and to your spouse. Great advice, advice especially today more than ever. Yes. Yes. Do you, can you both share with us a favorite quote? We always end our podcast with a favorite quote. Sure. Do you have well, a favorite quote? A favorite quote. <laughs> that resonates with Yeah, it's something that resonates yeah. with you. Sure. My favorite quote <laughs> is um, said to Moses by God. <laughs> How appropriate. Yes. You're in the Parsha. It's in the Parsha. And he says, when uh, Moses asks God his name, he says something in Hebrew, which is, Sadly, one of the worst translated pieces of the Hebrew Bible. What he does say is, I will be what I will be. It's translated as, I am what I am. But he says, I will be what I will be. I could tear up thinking about what that means, that that God is always going to be there for us, and he's going to be different things. He's not, he's not one thing. He's many, many things. You know, today he's supporting us. Today, he's, you know, kicking us into gear tomorrow. You know, he's many, many different things to us. And I, I think we have he's to He's everything live, to he's us. He's everything. But it, it's changing. And, and, and our lives are to have a personal relationship with our godliness. It's in us. We, we don't have to go far. It's, it's, it's in us. We just have to connect to it and see that we, we are godly. And, and I'm on the board. He's the chairman. He gets to make the decision. <laughs> I'm throwing stuff at the wall. He gets to decide what sticks. But he's given me so much to, to, to feel about. And the idea that he will be for me whatever I will need at that time. And that will be changing. And I, being a godly being, I want to be that to other people too. I will be not one spouse. I will be a million different spouses to my wife. And a million different parents to my children. And to different children, I'll be different. We all have to be changing and, and trying to be flexible and look how we can best bring this, this amazing godliness to everything that's around us in whatever way the, the recipient needs it. Wow. Amazing. Love it. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. This is so enlightening and deep and, and um, empowering. Yeah. It's such a dynamic. Inspiring. And I want to say to you what Mr. Rogers would say to people that he cared about, and he would say, thanks for all you do, you know, because I know, you know, you work hard, I know in your own lives, but, you know, for reaching people, and it makes such a difference to people. Seeing your podcast and seeing people react, people, you know, bright uh, people, you know, women especially in our world who sometimes can be behind the curtain instead of, you know, in front of it, 
it's uh, it's wonderful. It's meaning, and uh, God, I'm sure, has already will continue to bless you to do a great job doing it. Amen. One who blesses is blessed. So those who bless shall be blessed. Exactly. Well, you've been a, you've brought a lot of light to marriage. So thank you. <laughs>